welcome to another episode of The Greatest Pod, where we discuss and debate what makes something great. I'm Ed Greer. I'm producer Bill, and today we are on video, people, because we are discussing one of the greatest comic books, comic book artists of all time, um, possibly the greatest currently working, in my estimation. And that, my friends, is the man that you see to uh, our left, our right. I I don't quite know how this works. Um, (laughs) Screen mirroring and all that. But it's Frank Quitely, everybody. Frank Quitely is uh, one of mine and Ed's favorite artists. If you are listening to this on your favorite podcast feed, we need to tell you right up front, on the Greatest Pod YouTube page, we have a video version of this podcast where we have over 150 images from the full breadth of Frank Whiteley's career that we're going to be taking a look at with appreciation and a critical eye to try to discuss and debate what makes him one of the greats. Uh, And this is something we've been talking about doing for a while. Dude, I, I yes, we have. Um, I think it was born of both of our love of All-Star Superman and then realizing that we were quietly fans beyond that, way beyond that, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that we three, just all types of stuff that is out there that kind of shows his singular power of vision. Then you look some of these books where you kind of didn't think about the artist at the time. Like I I wasn't a quietly when I bought JLA Earth 2, mm-hmm. but I couldn't have been into him and I would just bought it because Morrison wrote it. Morrison right. and this guy quietly. Oh, well, okay, fine. And then you open that thing and it's just Frank quietly throwing down a gauntlet of dope versions of the whole justice league in a giant adventure against their doubles in, a, in an opposite world where evil always wins. And they have to win a battle on a world where evil always wins. And this guy's just drawing the shit out of panels where like, People have their hearts transposed on other sides of their body, and that's how they know they're from opposite world and shit. How do you draw something like that? How do you get that across? You know, I, I mean, it is worth noting too that a lot of Quitely's acclaim is at least in part due to the fact that he is Grant Morrison's favorite comic book artist, mm-hmm. and Grant Morrison, being one of the greatest comic book writers of all time, gives him some absolutely choice material, but. He also executes on a lot of that wild, inventive stuff, I think, better than almost any other comic book artist could. So, mm-hmm. you know, just a, a caveat up front, but nothing to take away from everything that Quitely's done. It is amazing. Yeah. And I mean, being one of Mark Miller's favorite uh, oh, yeah? uh, artists as well. It's just and one of DC Proper's uh, favorite artists for big stuff. Like you would have relaunched Batman as Nightwing and Batman's kid while Batman fights his way back through time or whatever the fuck. Mm-hmm. Who drew that book? Frank Quitely. It's like he gets trusted. Like I don't, he's like an obstetrician. You know what I'm saying? You trust him to, to, to hold your baby. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, all that said, he is also an artist, not without a great deal of controversy. You know, a lot of Wednesday mm-hmm. warrior types, hold some resentment because he consistently can't make his deadlines. We, mm-hmm. we can acknowledge that. And also he has this weird reputation as creating ugly drawings, um, maybe specifically ugly faces and ugly bodies. But that is one of the major things that this podcast is going to uh, argue against today. Oh, hell yeah, because obviously uh, Frank Quitely's world is of a piece, as you can see from the piece that we're looking at right here. Superman flying majestically, 
over i guess that's a big scottish uh, art building because he had a big um uh a big exhibition. exhibition yeah so uh he's just uh look at this handsome devil <laughs> love you Vinny. uh but yeah superman as this big chinned giga chad with a with a spit curl and his cape flowing behind him and his uniform beautifully lightly delicately creased with a little visible stitching around the shoulders to show you that this is a big kind of this is a big old farm boy playing dress up to be a symbol but he you know it looks like almost like this could be one of the first images of superman from back in the days where he was just jumping over buildings he just he brings his classicism to superman yeah but there is so much acting in his drawings which is something that i'm going to definitely keep coming back to because Mm -hmm. i think that's one of the great trajectories of his career he's got it early but by the time we get to his late stage work the way he's able to convey mood and motion with his command of both faces and bodies and subtlety of both faces and bodies is really something to behold so i'm Mm -hmm. i'm excited to get into all this um And the other thing that we should let you know up front, we are going to go through his career chronologically. Yeah. So this should be fun because we're going to see how a guy who really came in with a very unique style also developed it quite a bit over the course of these many projects that he's done for the past shit 30 years at this point. Oh, and just one, one real last caveat before we go dive all the way in. Just please, dear, dear watcher, look at the hand acting that Frank pulls off in a lot of these pictures even in this this tranquil picture right here the calmness in his hands the just he's not he's not gripped up he doesn't have these fists he's not flying in the battle it's communicating that this is just superman out on a stroll in scotland you know what i'm saying trying to get some haggis or whatever you know well yeah i mean there's something to the fact obviously these are not fists which i think 95 percent of comic book artists would draw if they're going to draw this pose but nor are they very rigid, you know, just straight back hands. There's this mm-hmm. natural curve that just denotes the fact they're they're hanging lightly. You know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. no tension in the wrist. Yeah. And just that amount of subtlety is something that just suffuses all of his work. And I I couldn't love it more. So if nothing <laughs> else, you're going to get to see me gush over some of this small, almost unnoticeable stuff as we go through here. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get, let's get it going. So Frank Whiteley is a Scottish artist, and his first published work was in, as you can see here, Scotland's adult humor comic, an underground humor comic uh, from the late 80s, early 90s. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but this is a cover that he did that I think is instructive because you can see from the time he enters the industry a lot of things that will go on to be heavily refined, but will also stay in his work are here at the beginning. So I don't, does anything, what jumps out at you right away in this picture, Ed, that you, you want to talk about? Um, I just say, look at the body language on everybody. I understand every single artist employs body language in, in a certain way, you know, uh, that's indicative of their, whatever their style is. But if we're just going to talk style, look at the guy pushing the the larger lady's butt cheeks, the, just the <laughs> lean that he's got. And then this this person with 
is that a big, big mustache beard and these big glasses and the sombrero over, you know, uh, in front of the van, that guy. Yeah. I mean, that situation, what the hell's going on with that? This weird slight tilt to these buildings. And what is mm. that Citadel thing in the back? There's like an unexploded mine on top of this, of this car. And then the cops are there, but the cops are obviously very clueless. They've got this, this, this posture. And like just simple shit, like the grass. There's a, there's, a, I think a cat corpse in the bumper, <laughs> or something denoting, think, you know, that they, yeah, you know, crazy stuff is going on in this. Yeah, I mean, I think packing in that level of detail where you're really inviting the viewer to examine every part of the frame is something that he will go on to make great use of. And I know you mentioned the backgrounds. This this method of sort of rendering very detailed. I don't want to say photo real because they're not, but they're heavily detailed and delicately detailed buildings and environments, even with these sort of more cartoony, more exaggerated figures, is something that I think still defines his style today in a lot of ways. Um, and there's a great tradition of European comics being drawn in this way that goes back to guys like Hergé and Mobius. Yeah, this I, I do think that there and there are there is a little bit of a manga influence in regards to mm. uh, I think he got into uh, uh, I think he got into Otomo later than than stuff like this. I do believe that's the case. I think he was studying mostly Scottish artists and, and one in particular that I can't remember. Look at any of his interviews. He'll 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 talk about this guy who is a sort of subtle, beautiful, uh, light touch cartoonist, kind of like the style that we're seeing here. But like Atomo will draw like a, a building that's like a photograph or a bomb site that's a photograph. Like how would you, how would you even imagine? I mean, I guess the, the Japanese have more than enough <laughs> pictures of blow, like blowed up shit. So like he put that in Akira, the 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 destruction of of Tokyo again in this fashion. But in order for it to be destroyed, you have to draw the buildings really well. The buildings mm. have to be very very um very tactile. So even though his people would be cartoony and a lot of manga, mangaka uh, draw stuff in a cartoony way as far as faces and stuff, the jackets will be almost photorealistic. The guns will be almost photorealistic and the backgrounds will be almost photorealistic. I love the fudging on stuff like this at this time in his style. He didn't have time to draw this all the way. So like the parts that are that are super detailed are, but it's like the least the least detail, the most pack uh, bang for your punch. Well, and that is, again, that's something that you're going to see him refine quite a bit because he does still, he now has some very well-developed techniques to sort of get out of drawing every detail in a background without um, kind of cheaping out on the detail yes. of the background, yes. if that's a way to, you know, to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So the, the last thing I want to point out here is this vehicle. This Volkswagen Bug is drawn with so much personality with such clean, flowing lines, there's nothing mm -hmm. harsh or angular or obviously ruled out, you know, with a ruler about anything in this vehicle. And yet it looks absolutely accurate. It looks three-dimensional. There's no shortcuts being taken. And it's drawn, you know, for as much as the background maybe is not here, this is drawn with absolutely perfect perspective, right mm -hmm. down to these, you know, kind of complicated, round ovular, you know, not just your traditional blocky type shapes that you're drawing mm -hmm. in, in 3D perspective. And that is something that 
he continues to be the undisputed master of today. Um, Dude, and, being able to draw complicated machinery in perfect perspective. All right. And real quick, go to the lady's left butt cheek, <laughs> the shadow on her, on her like left butt cheek where that kid is right there. And yeah. then move over to that shadow by the, by the mirror. Like that's a shadow. That's a real deal shadow of the mirror. Yeah. Cause there's a light source coming this direction. And so her butt is casting a shadow right there. And this mirror is casting a shadow right there. And you see it mimicked in the shadows being cast on the ground by all these mm-hmm. people. And the so, little baby girl who stepped in it. I, I yeah. just love that. Right There's there. something so beautiful about that. Yeah. And that's another thing. I mean, we're spending quite a bit of time in this image. We'll roll through a little bit quicker, but it is worth just sort of noting where he starts and how developed a lot of this stuff is. And I, I like that you mentioned the shadows because he is known as a guy who has this very kind of open style. He really doesn't spot a lot of blacks. He uses almost no hatching. And yet his command of lighting, as we will see throughout his career, is absolutely impeccable. So mm-hmm. don't sleep on Frank Whiteley's shadows. Yeah. Moving on. So his next big assignment was Judge Dredd. I have not read enough of this Judge Dredd in 2000 AD magazine in the UK to really comment on his run. But there's a couple things here. We've got this image and this image that I pulled in particular. So one thing I want to mention, Dredd always had this really wild um, kind of shoulder pads that were, you know, famously rendered impeccably by Brian Bolland. But one of the things I really like, and you're seeing it kind of across the board here, on top of just the immaculate um, body acting that these figures are doing, Mm -hmm. these shoulder pads, again, maintain perfect perspective in all these different angles and also come across looking almost clunky. The Mm three-dimensionality is not just about... The, the shape being correct in perspective, but it's about the way that it lays on the body. Like you can tell this is impeding their movement a little bit. Like it's not mm-hmm. necessarily comfortable. And when you look at shoulder pads as rendered by guys like um, uh, Rob Liefeld, for example, you know, it's always just doing whatever the hell it needs to do to let the arm do whatever the hell you want the arm to do. Yeah. But here it genuinely looks like, oh, he's not going to be able to move his arm a full, you know, 180 degrees here because this thing is there. And so you're never going to see a character wearing this shoulder pad moving their arm up above their head. They just can't. And that sort of really deliberate consideration of space and the relationship between objects is something that quietly, again, will continue to master throughout his career. That, and it's so funny you point that out because it almost looks like if Judge Dredd had to like hang on by his fingernails in a cliffhanger type of situation, his shoulder pads would smash his head. Maybe that's why he wears a helmet. Totally, <laughs> totally. But again, I think it's it's something that quietly does where it's like he embraces the classic design. He's not going to redesign it to make it more functional, but he's also not going to going to cop out and and fudge things it's like nope that's what it is that's what he's wearing and yeah if you look at it as rendered here he can't hold on to a cliff edge that's just the way it is (laughs) it just is what it is judges shouldn't get in that position (laughs) um but looking at this next one too this is a composition that quietly uses quite a bit throughout his career and i thought it was interesting that it showed up this early it's this almost kubrickian one-point perspective with a figure in the mid ground. And there's not a lot of complicated perspective going on here, 
but he takes the time to add details that most other artists just don't. Not only is this sort of curved capsule top here in perspective from edge to edge, but the edges themselves have perspective. This mm -hmm. double line is in perspective. The double line is complete. It's not just a quick schluck that an artist might make to indicate, oh, there's some depth to it. It is rendered on every single edge mm -hmm. in correct perspective. And it goes so far to just sell the depth of this piece. And even simple tricks like a couple bolts, a little vents, those yeah. little vents down there. And he yeah. sleeps with his gun right by his hand and a, and a teddy bear, which is so cute. The wrinkles in the clothes. Love that jazz. Wrinkles in his hat. Love that jazz. That window. I, I think the cartoonist kayfabe dudes are famous for saying, like, most people can't draw a window. Like, most comic book artists can't draw a window. Because yeah. it's like the differing planes of going outwards, you know, towards the glass. It's just hard for people to figure out. So you end up drawing this generic iconographic right. window. Right. And so that's one of the things that I, again, really love about Quitely's artwork. I come from an art department background, so I'm really familiar with, um, uh, with you know, blueprints and renderings for sets and buildings. And one of the things you have to know how to do is draw windows and doors and they really are way more complicated than your average cartoonist will ever portray them. But Quitely, even if it's not totally realistic, appreciates that complicated geometry and, again, doesn't skip, doesn't skip it. He gives right. it to you because he knows that that's going to go such a way to selling the reality of this piece. I mean, I love the fact that he drew this little sliver of the edge of the door. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to do that. This door could just be open fully 90 degrees parallel to the wall, just make it a rectangle. But mm -hmm. no, he draws the edge and he gives it imperfections to show that like, no, this door is made out of a is made out of something. It's a material that's a little bit chipped, a little mm -hmm. bit frayed. I just yeah. love it. I love the it. The chip, chips and flex and stuff. You're going to see a lot of that in the work that we're going to keep looking at here. Um, and you're also going to see like lines that seemed ruled but not yes. he does it over and over and over again yes and it, again it, I, I it's just sort of a steady hand but not so steady that it feels mechanical mm -hmm. it's like he's able to create these beautiful parallels and sharp lines but it still all feels handmade it's 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 a real trick um mm -hmm. but i love what you said too about these little storytelling details i think that's one thing that we'll see you know, Quitely is not the guy who's going to deliver, you know, your absolutely iconic version of a hero kicking ass that you want to slap on a poster. But he tells a story. He's a real illustrator, right? Yeah. He's not a comic book artist. He's an illustrator. And mm -hmm. so in, in the best way, because like illustrators are also uh, castigated as being obsessed with the one image, taking a week to do stuff. Whereas the comic book artists, when they were, you know, scarfing down a donut before going back into Jack Kirby's basement to draw for 48 <laughs> hours on meth or whatever they were doing back in the days, cranking out those Fair. comics. They yeah. looked at illustrators like they were just just frankly, the sissies of the art world. But he brings an illustrative nature to comic book art so it has all the earmarks of comic book art in that the storytelling and the certain certain type of economy but it has lush touches like an illustrator would do so you're, you're right on point well i think it's that mentality too of like just wanting the image to advance a story and 
give the viewer both information and emotional cues as opposed to just wanting to draw something kick-ass. Mm-hmm. Like Jack Kirby is also a great, great comic book artist, one of the best of all time. And he is really cited as the template for modern American comics. And I think that's vastly different than what Quitely does because Kirby is really focused on the big image of the body in motion and action, action, action. And just because that's not what Quitely is doing doesn't make him any lesser than Kirby at all. That's what I'm yeah. trying to say. Yeah, he's doing dynamism his own way, baby. Yeah. So now we get to Flex Mentallo. Flex Mentallo is his first big collaboration with Grant Morrison, a spinoff of Morrison's classic Doom Patrol. And this is where Frank Quitely first collides with American comic superheroes. And I started with this image for a reason, because I do think that this is where some of those complaints about um, lumpy bodies might start developing. <laughs> <laughs> Develop like this guy's muscular development. <laughs> I, I love the exaggeration of Flex Metallo, but like I think what's interesting about it is I think Frank Quitely might be one of the people who most buys into superheroes are different. They really are different than regular people. Because when you look at the way he draws regular people, I just, you know, I'm African-American, so I'm going to draw a digit to it. These African-Americans are African-British people, whatever. Right here, the the texture on her hair is fucking loving. It's flawless. It's, you know what I'm saying? And the little kid, it's loving. He treats this lady as much as he treats Flex Metallo. I know it. Look, look at these, the peanut gallery and this chick in the back eating a burger and, and the person smoking. It's just like, and the, and the old lady being like, ah, oh, Flex Metallo is over my shoulder. I remember him, you know, just, yeah. I, I used to bag him in the thirties, you know, like you see the people seeing him and each of them is rendered with the same sort of love as the main figure is, but they are normal and he is extraordinary. Well, I want to even call attention to things like her hand as she's eating this pancake or whatever it is. And this guy's foot like looks like it's like nervously tapping on the ground. And uh-huh. I just want to point out that you can tell how comfortable, again, this sort of illustration versus American comics mentality. You can tell how comfortable Quietly is with the quiet bits of business here with uh-huh. just illustrating life. But then you bring in the larger-than-life, over-muscled figure, and you can tell this early in his career, he's still trying to figure out how to make that work within this more idiosyncratic, low-key world that he's more comfortable creating. Yeah, and uh, last things last on this one, I look at the the acting. That lady right behind uh, Flex Mentallo's fist that has the uh, pencil in it. She's like, oh shit! Oh, he, she's checking out his ass right there. Yeah, dude, and like, and the guy is sort of looking up at him. You know, the nervous, the uh, nervous guy, or the just whatever guy, and then and then this guy in the front looks like, oh shit! Yeah. Like it seems like he's he seems has a sort of a caught energy or a you know it's just it's just beautiful and just it's the, like that what's sneaker. Ever- it's like, what the fuck's everybody looking at? Like he's in, right. he's in the moment of turning to check it out. Right. And and just even simple stuff like his dumb sneaker. Like yeah. he just draws that sneaker. He draws that guy's that guy's the and like I will emphasize real quick, Frank Quietly's um propensity to draw the less flattering angles of all types of shit. He's not always going for the most flattering angle of anything. He could have bent that leg under and did more of a the foot sort of just coming out of the knee joint like they do for superhero art. But this sort of 
shitty, just caught out of nowhere, not dynamic. Not that guy's not dynamic. He's a regular guy. He's so you draw him like you draw. You, we caught him in this in this kind of ugly pose. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Well, I, I even look at like look at the pattern on her dress. The way he brings that into perspective and curls oh. it around the hip as her leg comes under the table. Crazy. Like, that attention to detail. Nobody else is doing shit like that. Crazy, Especially man. at this point in like 1991 or whenever it was that this came out. And why would you make that guy's pants checker? The guy with the nervous leg and he's looking up at Flex Patello's rippled back. Yeah. Why would you make that a check pattern that you had to do that with? What if, if you're just drawing a con? Why the fuck you do that? He does it to make that because he knows in line art form that's going to blend into that lady's leg. He did that to make that stand out in line art form. Absolutely. It's everybody has their own personality. Like no two people look alike in the face or even in dress. Mm -hmm. And again, I think you're just seeing that like coming from that alt comics background, he's more comfortable with all of this and with, you know, showing the almost humorous detail, showing the almost humorous detail in all these figures than he is with drawing this big, larger than life type guy. Yep. So we'll move on. This I put in here, this is a cover from number, the, the fourth issue of the original miniseries. So at the time when he is drawing stuff like this, that's a little weirdly proportioned and maybe a little stiff, he can also deliver shit like this. Mm -hmm. And I think it's worth noting, I mean, aside from just the wild approach of like the cascading panels making up his body, the figure drawing within those cascading panels is immaculate. Just yeah. the... The, the the flexion and the fluidity of that body, I mean, you can feel that guy tumbling through space. And I and I noticed certain style markers like that that left hand going down, the way that he renders that that place where your veins come when you're when you're getting vascular like me, brother, and you're getting <laughs> jacked. That right. the way he renders that aspect, like with that sort of negative space sort of situation that he does yeah. and like the flexion of the fingers. And then that panel with the, with the whole hand in it where it's sort of splayed or whatever. It's just like, I don't know, man. It's just, I, it, it, I love the, the cube situation is, is really good, but he does it just enough for you to recognize the image. He doesn't distort it too much. Right. I also will point out, and this is going to keep coming up as well. I think Frank Whiteley draws the best feet in comics like <laughs> he does this thing where he always adds just the slightest curve of flexion on the mm. bottom of the foot. And it just always looks good. It always yeah. looks good. It sells the fact that there's an actual foot in there that's doing flexion and stuff. Yeah, you're right, dude. Like, look at this foot right here. Like that is not the uh, Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld meat triangle. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on. So, Again, we were talking, he might not be totally comfortable with uh, American-style superheroes. Looking at an image like this, I don't fucking know. <laughs> like, maybe maybe he is. because. And granted, this is later in the series, but this is just outstanding shit, man. Oh, fuck. Oh, my God. You know what this makes me think? Like, when I love the fact that Planetary was just, was just Ellis and Cassidy the whole time. I love that. But if they ever wanted to do some more stuff or some interstitial stories, kind of like uh, Jupiter's Legacy has uh, uh, Wilfred, uh, Wilfredo Wilfredo or Wilfred Torres. Torres drawing um, stuff that happened in the 60s, 
if Frank quietly came on to draw stuff that happened in the forties and fifties or in sixties for, for the planetary universe, the homage universe, that'd be some sick shit. Cause this is what I see in my head about what was happening in the undergrounds. 100%. And like, just look at all of this destruction, like the, just the, the, the fidelity to real life and the, the way the middle line of the street is warping. Cause it's so messed up. Yeah. You Honestly, know. again, this is something that'll keep coming up, and it's wild to see it so well developed this early in his career. But the fact that he'll do things like most comic book artists draw on a page like this, you know, there's a lot of guys that might be able to draw these figures in just as dynamic, just as fluid poses. But I'll tell you what, they are cheating on these backgrounds. Nobody is oh, going to yeah. draw not only every window, but the depth of every window. All of mm -hmm. these windows have real frames and real depth within the buildings. This insurance sign is crumbling. All of those are drawn, those letters are drawn in perspective. Mm -hmm. This rubble is not just a bunch of scratch marks and hashes. It's objects piled together. Mm -hmm. And somehow, despite all, I mean, look at, there's water rushing over all this stuff over here. And despite mm -hmm. that level of detail, none of it is unreadable, which mm -hmm. I think is the real kind of coup de grace in an image like this. And I'm telling you, in, in my own work, I hope to approach some of this like whether those buildings are buckling and that's why they look a little bit weird in perspective or whether he's doing a curvilinear thing hmm. either way it gets over you know what i'm saying it's like it's like it's how they're supposed to be if those buildings if he wasn't going for a curvilinear or rather if he was going for a curvilinear they'd be perfect if he wasn't going for that and he was just trying to draw straight up buildings and they're not getting warped by the 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 destruction which it seems like they might might be but I think either he's doing both things to be honest. yes yeah yes right because because both of them in combination communicate what this is supposed to say almost every decision so many people draw so many angles for it to look cool i really don't think he gives a shit I think right. he gives a shit that the whole overall image looks cool. But if you pick one of these figures and go, well, I don't really like the lady right above the green guy. If you say, I don't really like that pose. She's just sort of has her two fists out, blah, blah, blah. Look at all this shit that's going on. Fuck off with that criticism. He's drawing 15, 20, 30 motherfuckers in perfect perspective flying towards you with, with all this debris. 100%. And, and I think the other thing to note here is like so many artists treat the background as just a compositional element that accents the figure. This background works that way, but the amount of detail packed into it communicates not only a level of information that sells the power, like seeing this tire pop off the car just as these guys are flying overhead, that's how mm -hmm. powerful it is. Seeing mm -hmm. this water rush and cover everything, that's how powerful it is. But also it creates a mindset. It's like, this isn't just a collection of quickly hatched lines in some superhero world. This looks like a real world. This is mm -hmm. a real street. These are real cars. And the superhero's arrival is making everything destroyed. And mm -hmm. like that in and of itself is storytelling. You know right. what I mean? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, this is an interesting one. Again, just for people who might criticize quietly as, as drawing, you know, the same face over and over. Here, this heroin addict has essentially a, a glimpse of the real world 
um, a heightened world. And in so doing, he becomes sort of a golden age style Samson character. Um, I think it's interesting to see quietly switch up styles here, but there's also a lot of things going on in this page. This down shot where you're really establishing geography and characters relationships to each other is something that he does a lot Mm -hmm. that I see almost no other comic book artists really do. And then this series of loosely connected panels that you don't really need to understand individually, but when you string them all together, they become this really meaningful moment is Mm -hmm. again, he is the ultimate master of. Well, and the thing is when people say comics are cinematic, they're never talking about shit like this. And Mm -hmm. this, and this is the stuff that makes them both, the equal and the superior of film. You could Agreed. shoot something like this on film, Agreed. but this the the nature of how this plays out is perfect for comics. Yeah. Yeah, I mean this I I think that's a great way to summarize Frank Whiteley in general is like he draws comics that are cinematic in non-cinematic ways. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he uses the medium so effectively that it becomes awesome to look at and also something that you could never actually put in a movie. Um, because again, the use of space, the use of panel shapes, you know, yeah. the fact that I'm becoming cosmically aware and these rapid, rapid fire panels fade to white. And then suddenly he himself is taking up negative space in this white void that extends beyond the boundaries of these panels. Again, those decisions tell part of the story. Mm -hmm. And just the right amount of detail on almost every one of these panels, because when you really look at it, this is a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 panel page. Wow. (laughs) Wow. And it's, this open, beautiful, just very easily readable thing. It's a 15 panel page. That's so wild. Um, this is a panel. This is, this is not colored, but this is a page from the same story. And look at how different these are. And look mm-hmm. at, again, for people who want to criticize the way that Quitely draws faces, look at how beautifully rendered every one of these faces is. Mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely in, gorgeous. Yeah. In in perfect perspective and acting. There's oh, acting in every single one of these faces. And that's one thing where it's just like, I would sacrifice a certain uh, aesthetic to get the acting that he puts into his drawings. And beyond the acting, like the choice of angles and, and mm. the way that the choice of angles gives you a, a feeling and emotion. You know, Todd McFarlane used to do this gimmick a lot where he's got these long, skinny panels really butting up against each other in quick yeah. succession. But he never did shit like this, man, where it's yeah. like he's on the phone and you see his hand gripping that phone tight. And now he's got this weird wonky it's a Dutch angle and there's a curvilinear perspective going. So it looks like the whole world is warping on this guy as he collapses mm-hmm. in the alley. Mm-hmm. Now we're close on his face and he's in these heavy, dark shadows uh, fading into black. And it's like, oh man, he's slipping into somewhere dark. And of course, now we see him in full silhouette. He himself has become negative space in this slash of light. And now he's becoming concerned. You could see the worry cross his brow. And now we just take this quiet moment where it's it's such an oppressive angle. The bricks are as big as he is. 
as they in perspective come down to frame his collapsed body like what a fucking virtuoso series of six panels Dude, and just on a really just, I mean, that was beautifully stated, Bill. And on a really simplistic level of analysis, look at the pants and look at that jacket. Like, look at that jacket. Look how lovingly, for that little baby panel, he shows you how the light is playing. Where's the light coming from? You know. And it's just, it's it's crazy that that's kind of his way of seeing stuff is... He, I think he does see the folds when mm-hmm. he's drawing people. He sees them clothed. If that makes sense. I know he does a classic uh, building technique, sort of skeletal and uh, slant cylinders and shit like that. But I think at the cylinder stage, he's working out where the wrinkles are because that's because at the cylinder stage, he's working out where the knee joint is and so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it, one interesting thing here, we've talked about how he can be selective with his details. So in these panels, as the world is supposed to be sort of warping and oppressing this guy, you see the detail on all these bricks. But then we get down here and it's really meant to show how isolated and alone he is. And so mm-hmm. we just leave little flecks and otherwise negative space in all this up here so that we can put the word balloons in. Again, just great choices. The world mm-hmm. warps, the world becomes heavy, and now it's just him. Yep, just absolutely. Um, you know, just more comp- more page composition here. I, I, there's some oh, interesting stuff. Look at that. <laughs> I mean, so this, you wouldn't really, I mean, you can see it. There's this bomb in the police inspector's hand. There's the bomb here in the middle of the page. That's a recurring image in this first issue, and it's echoed right here with the ball of the police light and mm. what looks like a wick coming out of it. Um, oh man. Psychology, baby. He does. He does this shit though, where it's like he will use shapes in this case, sort of um, the, the globe shape with the distorted writing on it over and over again to just sort of bring this weird cohesiveness to his work. And I just love it. I love it. Well, and the thing that I'm noticing, uh, besides the that beautiful man on the bottom panel, I mean, I know he shows up in the other panels, but that that money shot of him and his dumb face and his double <laughs> and his like he's bald, but he's got that sort of ring of hair around the bottom and the, and and his uh, sideburns and shit. I just I just love all that. But above that that panel, uh, one two three panel three, where Metallo can't even sit in a fucking chair. He's so big, and yep. this guy sitting in his chair super comfortably. You can see through the perspective like we're kind of in obviously our overhead shot the desk the phone the little computer and stuff like that's the shit that keeps me from drawing comics dude i love to draw giant people doing stuff break stuff breaking i'll draw every brick in an exploded building but man a guy sitting in a fucking chair talking to a behemoth with a bomb in between them and a perfect perspective phone is somehow beyond me right now but i mean aside from the perfect perspective Again, it's the things that he doesn't just cop out to doing because an mm-hmm. image like this, obviously the, you know, you want Flex Mentallo to be your focal point here. And it's a great piece of acting that he puts on this guy, you know, the hand, in, it's like the thinker, the hand in the chin, but then his big ass arm coming out here to rest on like this just looks, yeah, that's how that guy would sit when he's thinking. But the fact that he takes the time to render this guy in this relaxed legs crossed again, perfectly perspective position with his hands acting when he really could have just drawn the back of the chair, some shoulders and the top of his head. 
Yep. The fact that he says, no, motherfucker, I'm going to let this guy act. I'm going to show you the difference in their attitude by the difference in their body language. That is why he's great. Yeah. And then that the push in and the panel right next to it where the people over his shoulder are acting, obviously. And then the and then the the overhead thing, so we can see inside the drawer. How how else would we see inside the drawer? You want to do some non-dynamic side angle of a drawer opening, you yeah. lazy bum. Nope. <laughs> over the shoulder, I mean above, you know, looking down shot into the drawer as he opens it up to get the file or whatever. Just I think it's also worth stuff. noting the rhythm of the the camera angle choices we go down shot. Straight on shot, down shot, straight on shot, down shot, straight on shot without ever repeating anything. But it's just, again, there's a rhythm to how it plays, which is just awesome. Yeah. And I love just, uh, just the last things on this one, that, that building on the, the, I mean, the, 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 the building on the side of the panel, like the, the, all this action is taking place inside that building. Yeah. That building is framing this yep. situation it's like oh come on frank don't do it to him <laughs> it's gorgeous absolutely oh and last things last that oh, yeah, windows go. windows go back the fucking windows look at that yeah look at that look at that fucking window so again it's not just the cavity that the window fits into but it's the frame it's this the part where the glass connects in between the interior frame and the exterior frame and then the overlap because you got to be able to open that bottom portion to open mm-hmm. your window like yep awesome stuff Awesome yep. stuff. Um, so this is the first appearance that I saw of this five stretched, you know, the five stack panel, essentially, mm-hmm. which is something um, that is going to become hugely a part of his work in the authority and even into all-star Superman later in his career. And I think it's interesting just to note, this is a very static layout Right. Like we just came from this really interesting where it's like, like you said, the police station is framing the action. Um, you know, no two uh, rows of panels are laid out the same. This is literally five of the exact same size panels stacked on top of, the, of each other. Mm-hmm. And yet within it, he's doing so much. The world is wonky. The world is wonky. Now it straightens out. Uh oh, we're somewhere that we need to pay attention. And so we zoom in, and oh, now the world is wonky again, and we're out of it. And just mm-hmm. in that zoom in from here to here, the only point where we sort of settle into a, a certain point of view, there's so much menace because it's like we're here, now we're somewhere new, and the world keeps seesawing until it doesn't. And we push in, and then it starts seesawing again. It's like having a flashback. And it yes. does it without doing anything crazy with these panel borders. Absolutely. And I, I think these type of panels with their with their familiar rhythm, th- the rhythm makes you get the story point really well. Yeah. You know, the fact that it's broken down in this and this bang, 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 bang. And I can't, hate to keep harping on the perspective, but like that curved perspective on the castle and the goldfish bowl. It's killing me. And the fact that how he's drawn water, like if this was not colored, you could see that that was water in a fish bowl and a fish. It's well, so hard to not cheat with with the color or, or to do it without color to where the color is just gets to be an accoutrement to your lines. How about the fact that so often when you see these sort of, you know, glinting reflections drawn in comics, they're essentially just nondescript ovals or checkerboard patterns. Mm-hmm. He has got the slash of light from the window here mimicked here 
mimicked in its reflection back here. Oh shit! All yeah, image at the same angle. Oh <laughs> man, I mean, it's it's just crazy how this dude sees. And I think so. I was reading a book, and it was like drawing is seeing. Yeah, and it's one of these stupid like, oh, that's that's just what do you mean? Everybody can see. No. Everybody no. doesn't see. Right. This guy sees every bolt in the in the light in the base of the light pole. You know, when he's walking around, he's walking his dog, he's yeah. looking at that shit. He can see it. He sees how high curbs are and how they warp the perspective if you look down the road. It isn't that perfect perspective you get in drawing class. It gets a little wonky as things jut out, as things as trees buckle the sidewalk, so on and so forth. He sees it. What they do in white make it jump. Okay, you can you can you can you you can listen to Jimmy, but you can't hear Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then how about just these brilliant um, composition choices where we've got these slashes of harsh black here, and we're gonna pull them back this way over here. So mm-hmm. in between this seesaw of the harsh black going this way and then coming back this way down here, we've got this shadowed flashback, this really sinister moment. And then as those slashes seesaw you down to the bottom of the page, this perspective, the angle that he chooses here could be what these evil boys are seeing, even though the coloring and the overall rendering tells us it's not. But again, those choices all add up to you understanding this is a memory that this guy's having as he's, you know, freaking out in this alley. And again, it's just subtle stuff that is so, so good. And just simple stuff like, okay, go up to the guy's ear in the top panel and mm. then go down to the goldfish. Mm. That's a diagonal. Then mm-hmm. you go, then that sort of leads you down into the kid, which leads you over and it goes and, and to see the hand. And then that hand goes down into the, the main pictures of, the, of those kids and that those that central focus. And then check it out. Look at the brain or whatever yeah. coming down at that yeah. other diagonal. You know what I'm saying? It's like bing, 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 bing. And again, just if he just would have straightened everything out a little bit to make it more up and down, side to side, this page doesn't work as well because it doesn't have that movement you were just talking about. Dude, and, and, and also, last things last, one of the things he said was when he talked to Will Eisner, he showed Will Eisner some Shimura pages that he did for like 2000 AD or some shit, mm. and like a Drudge Dread thing where like some dudes were just shooting a bunch of undead zombies or some just major battle scene was so dope he showed him these two pages and will eisner goes yeah these are really good these are really good man and he's like uh okay um you want to give me some tips or whatever and he's like uh you might want to just keep the the real focal point to the middle of the panel Mm. i think that'd be a good thing for you to do and man, he's been doing that for 20 years, 30 years. You're you're not wrong, man. I mean, that is something that, again, will continue. And it's a way that he uses these widescreen panels in such a different way than a guy like Brian Hitch, mm-hmm. who will really focus on like strong side-to-side diagonal action, pushing things over into the corners, quietly almost frames this like Mad Max Fury Road, right? Yeah. It's like, boom, middle boom, middle, boom, middle, boom, middle, boom, middle. And there's just a fluidity to that. It, it, none of this is hard to read. None of this makes you go, huh, that even down to things like the placement of this guy's head relative to this door is the exact same here as it is right here. 
There's no cheating, mm-hmm. no fudging, no just letting this bleed off into nothing because who cares? It's going to be covered by word balloons anyway. And the most detail, the most mark making in that background is right here leading you to the most important part of this frame, which is him talking on the phone. It's yep. it's and again, those are all conscious choices. That shit is not happening by accident. Nope. Oh, uh-huh. so fucking good. Um, getting to the end of Flex Mentalo here again, just have to point out the scale that he's able to create is going to be a recurring motif in his work as well. See, this he, is that Otomo shit. Oh if my you God. don't draw the hell out of those buildings, yeah. this panel is just a bunch of gobbledygook. It just it doesn't have any impact. And just that panel, the second panel, looking down on the city, it's just, boy. I mean, I, I love the body language and all the characters. You seem, They seem sort of weirdly resigned because I think they're about to die or something in this. But, like, dude, it's... It, I just... I also love the way he renders the fuselage. Yeah. On on that thing, that's super fresh. And then like the little ticks that show the gigantic scale of this. And then you see the buildings are way smaller than this giant plane. And you're like, oh my God, this is insane. I mean, and you're again, seeing, it's perfect. And and you're seeing the overlap of the freeway exits and overpasses. Like, look at that. <laughs> yeah. None of this, none of this is just like, oh, nobody's gonna look at it anyway. I'm just gonna scratch in some shit so I don't have to figure this out. I mean, this is a city. And again, this doesn't have the sort of profound impact of the story where it's like these, the the whole point of this story is essentially superheroes existed in this dynamic, crazy universe. And to escape some sort of cataclysmic crisis, they essentially create our universe in which they are fictional, but our universe is just sort of like this placeholder until they can become real again. And so the fact that they are now crashing here as the wave of nothingness comes to take them mm-hmm. is a very profound moment. I mean, there's an implication that this is like some weird version of the Big Bang for us, right? Yeah. And again, if this was just some really impressionistic, you know, a giant silhouette of a of a of a plane with some crazy, you know, black black uh, rectangle shadows it would communicate what's happening but you wouldn't mm-hmm. get the epic feeling of like oh god this is the end of one universe and the beginning of our universe that's what i'm watching here like quietly respects the moment enough to put this much work into it yeah i i absolutely agree with that i am I am literally blown away by this. Uh, they're seeing it in this context, just divorced from the, the story even. Yeah. It's so incredible. And I keep telling people, man, like since I was a kid, people have been saying, hey, man, you should draw your own comic book. Because they see the still images and they see one comic book page I might crap out over the course of a week, trying really hard and ruling out everything and doing perfect perspective. And it's just like I guys like this, Kim Jong-ji, Brian Hitch – even to a certain, definitely people like Mignola, Casada. There's so many people that make me go, maybe I should just write. Because like the, the, <laughs> the, the effort to get to their level, obviously I wouldn't have to get to their level to be a professional artist. But as yeah. any sort of an artist, you want to be playing with these guys. You know, you want to be on some level like this, Some have some ability to do this. You're right. I would scratch out some bullshit in the corner. Th- there'd be some shockwave taking up that whole part where he's drawing like, that little that those little buildings are yeah all the all the white space 
that'd be a shockwave, my man. Right. And then and then that building, the stadium part, it'd be black as hell. A whole right. bunch of black all over there. And that building that's tilting, man, fuck that. It's already crumbling, so I don't have to draw the perspective. And so on and so forth. I, I just cheat so much on this page. Yeah. Well, he does not. So that is Flex Mentallo. Um, that is his first sort of American superhero comic. And now we just got a couple pages of his second, which is the little, little remembered Batman, the Scottish connection. Yes. So these are just some black and white pages. Um, there's only these two. A couple things are noteworthy. Number one, these unbelievable detailed backgrounds where it's like he's, He's not cheating on anything. Mm -hmm. Continue. Um, but I also want to point out, as we discussed, Frank Whiteley knows how to use shadow. Frank Whiteley knows how to lead your eye by spotting blacks. Frank Whiteley knows how to use uh, uh, blacks to define figures. So mm -hmm. if you think he doesn't, I just want to make sure you know he does. But I think these are perfect panels to look at from the from this book because like all those bricks in perspective and the, oh, yeah. the second panel down. Uh, I remember reading this and being like, I think this is what brings us to the Azrael shit. Like mm. the, the the person that he beats up in this is the first hint that there are these weird Freemasony type of dudes who can train people to be super. Because there's a guy in here who can like throw. 500 pound stuff at Batman because he's super strong because he's hypnotized with all these fighting abilities from the Azrael shit. They, they drew the Azrael thing out of this story. Interesting. Well, just from a, a technique perspective, I also just want to point out number one, the fact that he's drawing this busted out hole in this brick wall that is curved and mm -hmm. again, rendered perfectly with no shortcuts. Um, unbelievable. And look at that foot. Look at that Batman foot. The running form of Batman, I also wanted to point out. Again, I'll put this up against any figure drawing in any comic book. Like, mm -hmm. there is energy, motion, weight. This looks like an athletic guy with a cape running from machine gun fire. This is not just a cool collection of lines to make a badass-looking figure. This is Batman doing what he's doing in the story. And there is a distinction between those two things. Dude, and the panels laid out as though they're postcards on a table. Mm. Well, see, you know what I get from this is there it, the situation is essentially getting out of control. Here mm -hmm. we've got, again, one of these signature down shots that he does. It's his way of doing an establishing shot where you get the exact geography of everything but now things are getting crazy. The bad guy's getting away. He's slipping away. Batman's got to chase him, but he's getting shot at. He's got to make it through as the bullets are coming. It's like it gets more and more chaotic as we go down the page to the point where this panel is like damn near sideways. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. he's running, he's running flat in what you would imagine real life to be. But the way the page is laid out, he's almost running down a wall here. Dude, and real uh, and for uh, drawing all those bricks, he's like, you know what? I'm gonna just make Batman's body and this shit be black. I'm, I'm just gonna black this part out, man. I got a, I got a deadline. Yeah, well, which I mean, it's not cheating. It really works for the lighting that we're yeah, looking at. Absolutely. And again, quietly using blacks. 
Um, oh, wow. I've never seen this. these two pages in black and white. I'm really glad you grabbed this stuff in black and white because that plague mask in the story, that's to represent the people in Scotland or whatever who got the plague because the English were assholes and denied them medicine or some shit like that. Sorry, Scottish people. I don't know your history as much. But the bottom line is those dudes represented that that's why that that's a plague mask so those like blump bumps and stuff those are like tumors and plague plague marks and that 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 visage you know it's it's a really unique design really interesting he's got he's got a scottish kilt or a quilt sort of thing uh pattern on him yep yeah i mean i just i just want to point out like there's straight up some bernie wrightson in the way he renders Mm. this plague mask I mean, the level of detail and here's him using his version of hatching, which is not looser, but again, it's not your traditional comic book cross hatching or feathering. It is Mm. that Bernie Wrightson kind of more illustrative, almost Gustav Doré etching style Mm -hmm. of hatching. And there's a little bit of... uh... It seems like there could be a little Kaluda in there. I mean, maybe oh, okay. whether he saw him or didn't, but like this sort of like a bunch of little lines grabbing up into into like larger areas. Like, uh, yeah, there, there's something in like the way. And again, look at the the shadow on these guys. Not quite black. He's doing that with hatching because yeah. they're being lit on a certain way. And he needs to be able to see the differences in their faces and shit. Yeah, beautiful stuff. No, and Batman amazing. running through that door. Look at that door. This guy draws the hell out of some doors. I mean. Batman emerging from this shadow. But another thing I want to point out, you know, this is really the first indication of the way Quietly ends up using capes almost like speed lines. Mm. He never really uses speed lines or those kind of comic book affectations to tell you that speed is happening. But what he does get really, really good at is using wardrobe and environments to sell those actions and this is sort of an early experiment that will just get more and more refined as his uh, as mm-hmm. his career progresses. Yep. All right. So now we are talking JLA Earth 2. This, coming off of everything you just saw, DC says, we're going to give this guy a prestige-style book with our hottest writer, Grant Morrison. This is the cover. And there's a couple things that I wanted to point out here. Um We could talk for days about the composition and sort of this flawless reflected image thing. Mm -hmm. But like it is worth admitting, these figures are a little weird looking. They're a little thick. The proportions are maybe not as right as you would want them to be. Um, And also the faces, you know, have a little bit of a unfinished look. I, I my point There's a being, pursing of everybody's mouth that's pretty interesting, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my point being that I do think this is quietly trying to figure out these American superheroes. As you noted, like, he wants to keep a very classical style. He wants them all to look like, you know, the, the versions that everybody knows. But he can't draw, whether or not he can't, he doesn't want to draw in the style of American comics at the time. And so figuring out how to balance, you know, these bright colors and these larger than life figures with his very sort of sinewy idiosyncratic style is going to take some time. And so like this Superman is nowhere near as well realized as his all-star Superman. And it's worth yeah. paying attention to that. Well, these guys look a little bit um, sculpted out of plasticine, mate. Yeah. You know, there, there's yeah. a little bit of that. One thing I do like about the drawing, though, on the Wonder Woman, who, like, you know, 
his his women, you know, if I was going to say Adam Hughes or Frank Quitely draw a woman to save the earth, mm-hmm. I'm picking Adam Hughes, obviously. Mm-hmm. But a Wonder Woman's butt lasso area, that little bit of negative space, that little bit of negative space, there's something magical about that. It sells the 3D of what's going on. It's just little stuff like that. He just gets right even when he's messing up, quote unquote. Well, I mean, one of the things that I love is the way these capes just kind of wrap around the figures. Mm-hmm, you know what I mm-hmm, mean? It's not mm-hmm. a blunt line hanging behind them. They yes. they follow the contour of the body. Yes. And they're, again, it's just it's a little thing that I hardly see any comic book artists do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just fabric laying properly instead of just dynamically. I think a yes. lot of people can draw a, a lot of things just fluttering in the wind super hard or super speedy running and blah, blah, but just sort of the, the limp cape, the, the tie that's sort of bunching up when the guy bends over to put his head in his hands. These are things that Frank quietly does better than anybody. Yeah. And I will say, you know, for all, for all the talk about Adam Hughes, he's going to draw a much more beautiful Wonder Woman, Superwoman than quietly is. I don't know if even Adam Hughes executes this sort of mirror image effect as well. Oh, Oh, absolutely. Cause uh, I, I, it's the difference between like, I mean, Adam Hughes is, is definitely a sequential artist. There's no one can take that away from him for sure. But like, he's an illustrator, you know what I'm saying? He's like, is a bad ass illustrator. And like, I, you know, if I could draw one image that good and have people pay me enough to have a mortgage with me and my wife and shit, I fucking I, I do that. The fact that he even taxes himself with trying to do sequential drawn Hellboy stories and stuff, it's crazy. But anyway, yeah. uh, but Frank quietly, uh, I, I kind of like, I think his Flash is the best out of all these drawings. I think the Flash is the most on model besides being maybe a little bit too buff. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I think he's, I think he did the best job of drawing the Flash in this particular drawing. Well, I will say there are some much better drawings inside than there is on the cover. So this cover is probably made a long time ago. All right. So this is a two page sequence of Batman um, saving the uh, the Thomas Wayne of Earth Mm Two, And again, I don't know if all of the drawings of the I don't know if all the drawings are perfect, but goddamn if the action and the staging isn't perfect. I mean, look so, at the acting, that beautiful acting we were talking about in the in the uh in all the panels, but definitely in that uh one, two, three, fourth panel. Uh yeah. Yeah, that in that that those guys over to the left, what they're what they're doing, what they're talking about, this guy looking up, these, you know, the the and the boom mic guy, you know, just uh, and there's the scrunched up Batman eyes. I do I think that that's what those are. Yeah, that's what the that's what that bottom panel. I mean, you could this was maybe a deadline thing with this bottom panel. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, look, he drew all that other shit. <laughs> I mean, every single one of these people in this in the second panel is an individual person. Every one of these steps and every one of these columns is blocked out in correct perspective. I mean, give me a break. And the other thing I want to point out, and this is something that will keep coming up with Quietly. So, again, we've got the put the most important part in the middle in all uh-huh. of these panels. But look at this fourth panel. Quietly knows you read from left to right. And so what we have 
again, seeing what we've set up. So we established geography up here. We've got the two GCPD vans and we've got a crowd that's coming up to them. The crowd advances further and we establish that Batman is hanging upside down somewhere and watching it all happen. Now here in front of these steps, which we've really strongly established with these parallel lines, we've got our two main characters having an argument. Now we've got the most full panel of the whole thing. And we see because this crowd that has been encroaching has now reached the vans, this these guys are engaged in a conversation. Here are our two guys who are arguing. Here's this dominant figure with a shady face approaching at a weird angle, reaching into his coat. So immediately we're like, oh, this can't be good. But then over here, we're continuing to sell. Everybody's preoccupied with other stuff. So mm -hmm. he's not being noticed. And all the way to... There's a little blip right there in this crescent shape. So we understand where Batman is in relation yes. to this scene. Unbelievable. Sick. Unbelievable. Sick. <laughs> oh, so good. So then we continue. Our shadowy figure pulls a gun. Again, perfect perspective. You're reading this from left to right. Hey, what the fuck is going on? Gun in the face. Oh, no. Down to here. Ba again, middle, exact middle of your goddamn panel, batarang mm -hmm. to the arm, gun goes flying, gun up in the air, Batman tackles this guy, all we see is the hat, the cape pushing out of frame, and this mm -hmm. guy is still aiming at the empty space where the hat, where only the hat remains by the time the gun hits the ground and fires off. Mm -hmm. And now, all that's left is an aftermath where we've got all those people that we saw before swarming this scene are being pushed away. And there's a, a crowd of bats coming out from where Batman was hanging when it all began. I mean, just, just classic, classic stuff. And again, all these coats and stuff, uh, number two in the list of things that make Ed not draw comics. <laughs> Look at all these damn clothes, the riot gear for the guy that the guys have. Yeah. Um, the, and, 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 uh, I also love this, the decisions on Morrison and, um, uh, quite least part of just, you never quite see Batman this whole time. Yeah. And let me tell you something, me and Gene, that's how it's supposed to be. The less, I'm sorry, man, if you buy a Batman comic and Batman's on every page, that's a bad Batman comic. I'm trying to tell you. Yeah. I love, I mean, this is almost a cartoon gag, but it works. And the fact that he establishes um, a timing, because we all understand a gun thrown up in the air from, you know, shoulder height is going to take so much time to flip and hit the ground. And so he essentially establishes a stopwatch and that's how fast Batman gets there. And then you get this cartoon moment of like the guy that everybody's aiming at and paying attention to is already gone because Batman's moving so quickly with just his floating hat there. It's, it's just impeccable staging. It's just unbelievable moment to moment storytelling. <laughs> And enough buildings and perspective and shit to sell it. Yep. I think he just just enough for the cité. I mean, definitely way more than a lot of people do. But yeah. in his mind, I guarantee you he's going, I mean, I got to draw this. I think when he looks at certain things, he goes, oh, shit. This way that I've thought of it, I'll have to draw the inside of a van door and the inside of a bumper. You know, it just, yeah. oh, dang. And he well, just does it. He eats the frog every page. And look at this. I mean, these steps 
are again, that sort of organic straight line that we were talking about where it's like just the little bit of variance, the fact that it's not just a ruler Mm -hmm. makes it feel like, oh, that's weathered concrete. And then he goes the one step further. These are just indiscriminate shapes, but taken in the gestalt, taken as a whole, that immediately reads as, oh, those are dirty steps. Those are dirty, weather-beaten steps. Yes, yes. We're in a dirty world. Um, And then again, the use of shadows. Frank Quitely is a guy who does know how to use shadows. Yeah. Um, All right, so I wanted to look at this. This is an example of some of his minimalism. So there's almost no backgrounds until we get to a shit ton of background. And again, that's that very sort of manga European influence of like, give us the money shot of the background. Don't give us the money shot of the character. And that immediately sells the reality in a way that like a poster money shot of the character just won't. Yeah. And then in this, the acting of Brainiac in this story, he Superman has basically lobotomized Brainiac and Brainiac at this time is supposed to be just kind of, doing uh ultraman that is uh bidding and i love this when when ultraman's feet ultraman's feet as he takes off as he's hovering above homeboy and homeboy looking down and stuff and then ultraman floating uh in the third panel up through the thing and then when you cut to the fourth panel it's just kind of known from the angle that ultraman's flying at and the fact that there's a hole there that he's flying up into something what is it this phantasmagorical uh background this 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 his lair full of his destroyed people lives that he's ruined in this big central uh, i think that's some kind of fusion thing to make them go between their realities or something which is why it's in the middle yep ah come on man i yeah i mean the the feet is a great call because that's such a subtle touch but again i think that's a little bit of quietly figuring out like all right how do these guys work in space and just that idea that like especially with a haughty character like this he's not going to walk his way over and take off He's going to fucking float and move in the air to go take off. And so I that's think also, that's money dropping. I think, I think he just did something, got a bunch of money. There's just money dropping out of this Superman figure. Yeah. But I want to point out with this, this him flying up through this hole again, a lesser artist would just draw the hole. So here and then here, but the fact that he puts this super detailed pole element, which here you can't help but notice because it's the only piece of detail Mm -hmm. in these three panels. And then he continues it right here. You automatically can't lose your sense of geography. You know that he came up through here and out through here. And again, it's just, he's taking care of you as a reader. He's not just going, hey, you fucking get it. He flew off over here and now he's flying through this place. No, he wants you to know this is a place. This is a real place where this leads up into this room, which he can then fly out of. And again, it's I love that. It's like he doesn't cheat. He doesn't let you, you know, just put it together in your head because it's fucking easy. Who cares? He fucking does it for you on the page. And that's that's beautiful. Absolutely. And like you said, the background, there is, you know, sort of a money shot of the guy, but he's got to get out of the way of the background because the background tells a story. So the most important thing is that middle thing, not Ultraman. Yep. The fact that Ultraman isn't in the middle lets you know that that middle thing is more important than Ultraman. Absolutely. Um, All right. So I love this image. I think 
from the beginning, we should point out he will learn to use capes better than maybe is used here. This mm-hmm. doesn't really have the sense of upward motion that I think a lot of his later superhero work will have. Mm-hmm. But holy shit, the perspective and the sense of scale here. Mm-hmm. It would be so easy to draw this image with either these guys and just showing the wing and the on-fire uh, engine, and that's all you're seeing, or show the whole plane somewhere up here, and that's what they're going to so that we you know, can see that this plane is crashing. Quietly as the confidence and, quite frankly, the draftsmanship mm-hmm. to give you mostly a silhouette with amazing dynamic lighting effects drawing your eye exactly where it needs to go and just... There's something about the choice of the sizes of the characters in this plane that sells the scale of this in a way that, again, I don't get from really any other comic book artist. I really can't say it better than that. The uh, only thing I'll note is the uh, on the plane, actually, those sort of panels. Yeah. Like when, when space shuttles fuck up, it's because those panels fly off and shit. Just he, he lets you know that things are made of stuff, which is the dumbest sentence I've probably ever uh, <laughs> said. But you know what I'm no, saying? No, you're right. Things are, things are assembled. Everything is assembled in his world. There are no clean. There's no way you could make a plane out of one big sheet of metal. It's a bunch of sheets of metal, and just those little lines give you that impression. And he does the same thing with bricks on buildings, especially from a certain distance. Yep. He does the same thing on on certain nicked up surfaces like tables and things, walls. He just has this tactile ticky thing that he does that is so much more effective than almost anybody else's tactile ticky thing. You know, it's like Frank Quitely and Otomo. <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? You're not wrong. You're not wrong. I also want to point out that, again – this would be such a great opportunity to have all these characters flying directly at camera somehow, or we're directly mm-hmm. behind them. But just this choice of angle is so weird, but also so appropriate to the storytelling. Like we're not just trying to get money shots of Superman, Wonder Woman, and the Martian Manhunter. We're showing you the scale of the problem and the fact that they're responding in midair. So you're getting the information first before you get a quote unquote cool factor. Yeah. And I just want to say uh, Martian Manhunter's little draws. Just look at it, man. Look, look at how he he articulates that. Look at the softness of Martian Manhunter's like quads. Yeah. It's he he's not super ripped, but his like he does he doesn't necessarily skip leg day, but he doesn't really do a lot. He does like a lot of squats, but not <laughs> so much that he, he doesn't really do leg extension, he just does squats. And then you see his forearms though. Boy, those Popeye ass forearms and, and, and biceps, his chesticles and stuff. And just the fact that you can't even see Wonder Woman's face. Yeah. I think a lot of uh, the Bechdel test type of people would be like, ah, what the what? You what, we can't see Wonder Woman's face, but it's so perfect for this thing because she, you know, it's Wonder Woman. You can see all the proportions that her boots, her lovely little boots, uh, and just her upward face and her hand. That 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 flying that that away from us hand mm. kills more flying drawings from more artists every year. It's like only you could prevent forest fires type shit. You know, <laughs> like it it. It's so hard, right, to t- yeah. to determine where is that hand, where should it be. Some some people draw that angle, and her hand would be way up by the other one. It, there's this dedication to a certain sort of, and again, I, the non flattering angle. 
Mm. He loves it. He almost mm. revels in the, this isn't as flattering. This angle shows these dudes as majestic flying characters, but they're dwarfed by something. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you were saying. Yeah. And I mean, obviously Wonder Woman's arm is covering her face here, but like you really don't get a good shot of anybody's face, but yeah. you know, that doesn't matter. Yes. And that's, yeah. And I mean, I also, just because you started the conversation noting Superman's hand in that first drawing here, again, they're not clenched into a fist because I think even this early quietly understands that's not who Superman is. Mm-hmm. But look at the tension in his fingers. He's mm-hmm. relaxed in that original drawing, but here now it's like he is stretching his hands out because he's ready to go to work. And that extends even into his forearms where it's like everything here is flexed and tense because shit's about mm-hmm. to go down. Yep, absolutely. Worth noting, so this is this is Quitely's initial layouts for the first couple pages, but here's that spread. Look how detailed even the layout is. Dang. And, I mean, that's... That's some that's some hot shit right there, and he's working out this uh, this lighting scheme from the jump, and like it's not exactly the same because you'll notice if we go back, Wonder Woman is way more in the silhouette here, which I think makes it more cohesive as a as mm-hmm. a total image. But like again, just making bold choices from this from the jump, dude. I. <laughs> I love it. And that, that Lex Luthor up in the top right coming yeah. out of his space capsule. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll, uh, I think I've got a couple other of these pages in here. We'll return to them. But I got a, you already just got a quick glimpse of it. This double page spread is fucking unbelievable. So, <laughs> it really is. again, we want to talk scale, right? You've got an earth about to collide with our earth. So in the in the immediate foreground, the scale between the character and these pillars and this rubble shows you that's how strong they are. These big, thick-ass concrete things they've brought down in their fight. And now we take a building that you know how big that is and we put it in the background so that you have a sense of like what the scale is here on earth. And then we take up almost the entire sky with this approaching earth and everything is perfectly detailed in perfect perspective. And the fact that you can just feel what's about to happen is just a beautiful, beautiful piece of, uh, of art. This is just unbelievable. On top of that, again, quietly knows how you read. So the Capitol's on fire. We've won because Aquaman's got this guy over his shoulder. But holy shit, here comes Earth. These pillars are almost like panel borders. So here's yes. the first panel. Here's the second panel. Martian Manhunters, what can we do about this? He's got him on the ropes. This guy comes in and he's so small. It's almost answering this panel. It's like, we can't do shit. Like, we're just these tiny little things looking up at this big thing happening. And finally, Owlman's marching in because he's got a plan. But it's one image. And yet it's like you get the full chronological story just from the layout of the panel. I mean, yeah, the 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 using how you read to enhance your experience so that you don't have to do all this hunting. It's it's one of those things that people hardly ever notice, but it makes something so much more readable. And then like you were saying, like look at the body language on Aquaman in that in that second panel. He's just sort of like, yeah. Uh, you know, and oh, and uh, yeah, and then Supergirl, uh, Power Woman, or whatever her name is, yeah, Superwoman, uh, uh, Superwoman, yeah, she just looks so fucking cool right there. Like yeah. she looks really 
cool. And I Martian mean, Manhunter looks cool in his repose. He's just like, well, I guess we're about to die. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. When we get to when we get to the acting, it's like, and again, we know that Martian Manhunter was right here, and and uh, Superwoman was right here. So you see, they're both coming down the stairs because that's mm-hmm. literally the spot where she was standing, and it's mm-hmm. it's almost exactly straight down from where it is in that first panel. Mm-hmm. Again, these are deliberate goddamn choices so that you, as a reader, aren't going, oh, "Wait, what? Who's where? What?" It's like no. These people are moving like actual people in a three-dimensional space, which sounds simple, but so many comic book artists don't do that. And it's unbelievable that he does that not only, you know, in these money shots, but literally in every panel he draws. And when you start to think about it that way, you understand why a guy with a seemingly simple style can take so long to draw a book because he is making every one of these choices. I guarantee you he laid out this sequence of three panels a dozen times just to figure out what is the most effective way I can juxtapose all these images. Absolutely. And again, rubble. Just a loving rubble. Unbelievable. (laughs) And then look at, I mean, again, scales. I, I can't say it enough. He is a master of scale. This panel, here's Earth. Here's this their big ass space station above Earth, but here's the other Earth that they're about to crash into. I mean, yep. oh, it's so good. It's so good. I mean, and just tell somebody, hey, hey, um, Bill, Bill, yeah, um, yeah. I need you to draw this um comic script. Okay. Um, these superheroes are like fighting on the on the destroyed capital, right? The superheroes have, right after this the capital has been destroyed, a giant earth is gonna come and collide with our earth. And so the heroes have to see that. And how many heroes are there? One, two, three, four, five, six. There's seven figures, don't worry about it. And then uh there's a rubble all around, you know, just give me a one time a shot. And then and then show me space. And then the earth coming closer to smash us. Just uh that's your assignment. Do it in Get three on it. panels. <laughs> Dude. Oh, so good, man. This is so, so this is so good. So again, this is one of the earlier pages, but I just wanted to point out the 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 composition, first of all, these stacked wide panels with your, your center of focus in the center of panel, and then also the scale that he creates here. Just mm-hmm. as simple as the parallel lines, which is what you see when you're driving through cornfields. The fact that they're not just ruled out. He's putting in individual tick marks for the, the blades of young wheat or whatever it is. And the choice of like, I'm going to leave this all negative space to just be sky with this slash coming in and this little tiny truck lovingly rendered in perfect perspective. Again, he's a master of space. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. There there are ways to draw this panel that don't communicate the isolation, the bigness of the place, the weird serenity of it. Like it's something crashing to earth, but it is not like a violent, scary moment. And he doesn't draw it to be such. And it nobody else does this. I, I just have to say that nobody else does this. Yeah, and and I just again I love the the panels laid out on top of each other, slightly overlapping. But the one that is dominant is the real world, like the world that we're in. This thing is coming from somewhere else, mm. as evidenced by the fact that it's from out, outer space or whatever. But this is the real world with these with this wheat and this openness, and there's no town in sight, which suggests this this um, 
it's in the boonies or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then we punch in to this to inside this truck. And you know, you don't have any problem understanding that we went inside this truck. There's a big fat steering wheel and there's a shadow and the people are acting. And that's what lets you know that's a truck. He does not spend a bunch of time lovingly rendering all the dice hanging from the mirror. Although you see a little, you see the mirror in the top part of the thing to communicate that it's a. You know, he does it just enough for the cite. And when he has to draw a billion things, he draws. That's where that's what it is. When he has to draw a billion things, he knuckles down and draws a billion things. But when he doesn't, and it's more effective for him to use open spaces and stuff, he doesn't shy away from that or make it look like he took a break. Agreed. And I do think it is kind of amazing that it's just their body language, their body position, the steering wheel, and this little bit of mirror. You know exactly that these are the people in that truck as that thing explodes. Like, Mm -hmm. it's doing more with less, man. It's so good. Um, I just had to put this in here. (laughs) (laughs) I had to put this in here because, like you said, when he's got to draw it all, he'll draw it all. And look at this fucking top panel. I mean, oh my God, unbelievable. Oh my God. They're like rebuilding the Capitol. Oh my gosh. Also worth noting, uh, this was in Zack Snyder's justice league. Um, t- tellingly in this wonder woman is repairing lady justice after, you know, a- an event that damaged it. And that's why we're seeing her juxtaposed with the with the statue, as opposed to just standing alongside the statue before she goes to beat the shit out of some people. You know, might be a little <laughs> different message there. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and I love, I love this concept. Again, look at that that I guess uh, fourth panel. Just their knees, their super knees. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, who yeah. does that? Who does that? You know what I'm saying? And this beautiful uh, downward shot. Uh, and also perfect perspective, and then that last one with the with the mirror image motif again. Yeah, just geez, Louise, man, you can just I, I when people go, I don't like how he draws a big chin. I just want to punch them because yeah. this is so evocative and powerful. And and again, this scene would cost this scene right here would cost millions of dollars. Yeah, I mean, know? and by the way. Look at how clear this geography stays, because from the beginning, you've got Wonder Woman, Lady Justice, Superman with the Dome of the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Second page, Wonder Woman, Lady Justice. And now we're seeing this little bit of a peak and Batman sitting on the roof. And here comes Superman, the Dome of the Capitol behind him. So we get he finished up over there and is flying over to Batman, who we know is mm-hmm. right here related to Wonder Woman. And then the three of them collect on this peak, which was established right here and down below. Again, we didn't establish this building, but we can under... Well, I mean, shit, no. You see Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman's... In the reflection. reflection right oh, there. God. And now they're all together. I mean, this is unbelievable. Like, <laughs> you don't need to map out the scene that clearly for what amounts to just them having a post-battle chat. And look at how much work he's putting into the storytelling <sighs> for them to have a post-battle chat. Well, yeah, and this because this is basically the end of the story. I think this is yeah, like is. the the us us coming together, and we're important, and the mirror of us is very powerful. The image of us from below or whatever is is very powerful. We need to like so this, there's there's a lot of responsibility in that image, almost like a Spider Man book. And one thing I'd say about that middle panel, mm-hmm. dude, he cheats that 
that that capital. If mm. you really look at the the uh the 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 distances and stuff where where Batman would have to be, yeah, he cheats that capital, but it helps the story. You exactly. don't have to keep everything so stupidly accurate. You're not Google Maps. You're an artist for Christ. You don't have to do that. He he cheated it to make it communicate. Yeah, it's great. Also worth noting, Superman here has a very kind of haughty body language, which will be revamped completely when we move on to All Star Superman. Um, yes, yes. So that's that's and, just. But I think that's note. even acting though, because he's like a note of idealism, Batman from you. It's like, huh? I've caught you being a good a good guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and then and then Batman looking up at Superman as he often does says his snide remark. It's Morrison is doing some great writing on this too to, to come up with this image and this series of images. Whether he said they're repairing the Capitol and here's the conversation, or whether he said they're repairing the Capitol, give me a wide shot, give me three in the middle. You can do whatever you want at the bottom. Just make sure you do that that uh, them all assembled image really good. Yeah. You know that that image the one two three four fifth panel I guess could have been skinny to make room for that, or or it could have been worked into the to the top to the to the middle three. To make that bottom one super wide and do the thing, but there's something powerful about the way it's actually laid out. Well, there's a there's a solidity to it. The fact that it's um, it's essential. Well, first of all, the page is laid out as a mirror image, right? But the fact that it has that um, that quality of being mirrored, it's like there's no imbalance. Everything is perfectly balanced here. It's like mm-hmm. the one panel that stretches across three exactly the same size panels two exactly the same size panels like it's sturdy it's reliable which is again the exact feeling that you want this scene to uh, achieve absolutely yeah so that's jla earth 2 now this is not frank quitely's art but i wanted to put this in here just to illustrate the transition right yes (laughs) yes dude i'm telling you man as a kid i looked at this beautiful stuff for 12 issues homeboy drawing Pretty much the same thing. Every brick, every bolt doing like, well, we'll talk about Brian Hitch in the future, but Brian Hitch really is another guy like Frank that will draw and even to a more supposedly realistic effect, mm. any angle. If he needs to draw the underside of an aircraft carrier thrown to the moon, he'll find out what that looks like and draw it, every bolt of it. And and when things come apart, you can see how they would be put back together. Some people's debris is total garbage. It would never coalesce into a thing. It doesn't look like something breaking apart because it doesn't look like it was ever together. Mastery of that and mastery of the human form. Look how beautiful his like ladies are beautiful and beautifully proportioned and buxom and just everything you want comic art to be. And then you get this big chin Scottish fucker drawing this stuff coming in. It just jarred me as a kid. So this is the authority, which I don't think we've said yet, but, you know, Brian Hitch is an amazing artist, but the thing that, you know, sells his level of detail is number one, just this dynamic lighting that every shot has, right? There's, there's deep, heavy shadows, really well-defined musculature. Everybody looks like a Greek statue. Like Mm he aced every anatomy class he ever took. And every face has got like just the strain of rage and effort. Like this is the apotheosis of American superhero art. Just Greek God statues with cinematic double lighting, 
you know, drawn to look realer than real. And that was the authority. Mm-hmm. And then you got this guy come in. <laughs> so, you go from this version of the authority to this version of the authority. Mm-hmm. And I can see how that'd be a little jarring. <laughs> Dude, oh my God. And when, and again, there were certain things I appreciated about like when we started getting into the stories and stuff, but like with just this still image, it's just like Frank Quietly isn't for selling posters normally. Now, I think a lot of his painted work, I'd put that in the fucking Louvre, you know, because he really works out a lot of things. He doesn't leave anything up to an inker or even a digital inker or anything of this nature. Uh, But like, oh, Jesus, look at Apollo. God dang. And then and then like the wrinkles in his costume. I didn't, you know, Brian Hitch drew a lot of things, but he and he drew clothes very well. But there ain't a wrinkle in Apollo's costume. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the Apollo that we're used to getting. And this is the lumpy, weird-looking Apollo that Brian Quitely was gonna <laughs> give us. And I think, I mean, I think you said it best, right? Like Brian Hitch is the most poster-worthy artist to ever art. Yeah. Frank Quitely is not. You know, Frank Whiteley is not here to give you the money shot, but he is here to give you unbelievable storytelling. And that's what we'll get into. Yep. So let's start with Apollo um, launching a guy into the sun. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, just really quick primer. In this part of the storyline, basically – Yada, 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 the government or somebody lets out the worst super wizard of all time. This guy can trap you in a loop on the other side of Saturn. This guy can send you to the end of time to relive your death over and over again. He can make you think about that touch from your gym teacher in in an infinite loop. He can do all sorts of horrific magic to you. And the authority were quite flummoxed by them, by him. But boy, they're getting, he's getting his comeuppance right now. (laughs) And, And he's, yeah, he's smashing this guy in. Just the sun. What would the sun look like? We have no frame of reference. We don't understand it all. But the door and that that little thing, that little doorway, that is um, the ship can send you in a teleportation fashion through a door, a golden doorway like that to almost any place in the known universe. And it sent Apollo to very near the sun. And he's got this magic dude. And just you see the guy starting to come apart and Apollo's punch sort of breaking this guy's head apart as he jams him into the sun. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, there's there's so much going on here. First of all, the sense of motion, again, keeping with that idea that in these wide panels, we're going to put the thing we want to look at in the center. But mm-hmm. here, it's the space between Apollo and the sun. Then yes. you zoom really quickly right the fuck in to Apollo mm-hmm. and this guy. And then Apollo overpowers them so that the punch is happening almost off frame to the right. So mm-hmm. taken as a whole despite the fact that he is keeping that very clear center of the frame focal point, the action moves very quickly from all the way to the left to all the way to the right. And Mm -hmm. it moves that quickly because there's not a lot of panels and there's not a lot of dialogue. So you move from here to here to here very fast as a reader, which is exactly what is happening with Apollo in the scene. Yep. Very fast. And then the body language. This is how a guy flying at super speed, holding a man by his neck out in front of him. This is what he looks like there. Mm-hmm. There's just no doubt in my mind. It's some very, it, it almost looks like a swimmer, but there's just something like, this is what a man who defies gravity moves. Like he mm-hmm. captures it in a way that I, and again, look at these feet. 
Look at those feet. Yeah, man. And just the guy he's carrying, just the the turbulence of even though there's not necessarily wind stuff, there's just something from perhaps the leftover momentum from him momentum. being a regular space yeah. going into outer space. And he's already in that in that, you know, um horizontal position. But that horizontal position indicates speed. One hundred if this was, you know. And again, just look at look at this twisting body of this punch and the way that his body's interacting with this body and and just the wind up and the pitch here. There's there's nothing incongruent. There's nothing off. It's just we rear back in the exact right position of what this should look like. And then we knock this guy's fucking block off and we're right <laughs> up here in his grill. I mean Again, they're like the the figure work. It, it, it's impeccable. It's impeccable drawing. And even if you were going to be totally like Monday morning blowjob quarterback on this on this thing, his hair is flying back in the middle panel because he came out of regular space. Yeah. But the but the stuff that happens in the bottom panel is happening in outer space. So his hair is no longer obeying the laws of any sort of. Uh, He's outside of air, so he's outside of physics as far as his hair having to blow back. Right. And it's floating freely in the bottom. I mean, I Frank might have been the type of dude who thinks who thought that. I think you're right. It's the hair is kind of whipping around with his head, with his arm. Like it's you everything is just selling that circular motion. Yeah. Punch this guy in the face. I think that might be more accurate. And I think that's even even more. So it's just like, again, if you gotta cheat something. Make it tell the story. Yep. Yep. So this scene continues. This is also great because this is a two-page fight scene in maybe five panels, and it gives you everything you could want. So we get the wind-up and the punch, and now we get, here's one of our great stacks, five panels, his head reforms, he counter-punches, and then he punches again. And immediately in these three panels, we understand this battle has turned incontrovertibly. And Mm -hmm. between the previous page and these three panels, that's six panels, not even two pages. And that is as dynamic a fight as you're going to get in any comic book. Dude, and now I'm remembering the story. He was one of the doctors. The doctors are magicians of incredible power, and they gave the power to some evil guy. And it took the entirety of superhero dumb to take him down in like the 60s or 70s. And he got put into a super prison. And something happens in the story and he gets let out. And he gets his powers back for like an hour. And right. he does irre- irrevocable well, damage in an hour. The authority, the authority evacuates the entire Earth to parallel Earths so yes! they can fight this guy. <laughs> yes! Dang, I can't, I can't believe I forgot that, but that is that is absolutely right. They evacuated the planet because this dude is so hard. Yeah, dude. I, I I love I love how his head starts reforming in the, in the top panel. It's it's better than anything any special effect in any movie is gonna do. It's like you're seeing the viscera and the brains and the skull just mm. sucking back into his head. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and even if you didn't know the story, these characters in the in the uh, fourth and fifth panel are looking up, 
and they're just like, oh man, this is bad. And I love, I love this Mark. I just got to uh, do this Mark Miller dialogue real quick. Please. Apollo, for God's sake, all you're doing is pissing him off. Get him back down here before he turns the entire solar system into a damn freezer box. That that's just so funny to me. Apollo, you're just pissing him off because nobody talked to Apollo that way. Apollo was dispatched in the first twelve issues to destroy armadas. And he's yeah. getting taken down by a fat old man with no head. <laughs> yeah. That's a great way to put it. I also, again, these conscious choices, this V shape that they're, they're separated, they're closer. And now they're, you know, his face is getting smashed, but this V shape leads you right down to the team and you almost feel the snap cut of like, Oh shit, this happens. And then boom, we're back on earth. Stop pissing them off. And again, right. it's like, that pacing is all a deliberate choice. Yep, absolutely. Um, this is another two-page sequence. This is from a different storyline that, that Quietly draws. I just want to point out, these. this is, again, simple four-stack pages. Great standard establishing shot gives you this building. Enough detail to sell as a real place but the only thing you really understand is we're on a hill and it's got these glowy horizontal windows and that will come back at the end of the sequence. Now I just want to point out the camera work here. Mm-hmm. This, this staging is crazy. So we could see these women from um, a perfect profile, right? From in front of their desk. Yes. We're coming at them from this three quarters angle And this woman looking surprised and this woman looking over her shoulder, it makes it feel like we're approaching them unwanted and fast. Right. Right. And the the first one we see has a look on her face. Like she's looking over her shoulder like, ah, what the the fuck is this? And then that lady, that late one lady's going, what the hell is this? And one lady's going, I'm scared of that. So either way, whatever's coming is hardcore. And then the second panel of like him just smacking both of them with one like left backhand, I guess smacks her back and the other one almost takes her head off and destroys her coffee cup. Her yeah. coffee cup smashes the just and the papers go everywhere. The paper she's holding, the coffee cup she's holding are all over the place when he gives them the, the super pimp smack. Well, and, and don't tell me that it, you know, it wasn't deliberate that we are establishing all this mm-hmm. shit on the desk. So when we see it go flying, we understand the power of that punch. Mm-hmm. And again, reading from left to right reception, these are secretaries. I'm having coffee. What's coming over my shoulder? Something terrifying. Oh, no. Bam. Smack. <laughs> and there's also another superhero here. So it's not just this one guy. And then this guy moves in past her. And so it's like our camera zooms in, dips down as he smacks them to put, you know, he's in now a powerful position. He's bigger than both of them in the frame. And now we zoom out to pick up this guy who's moving left to right, which is further accentuated by these strong horizontal lines that were established here at the top of the scene. Yeah. And he, that character standing still, he's not though. You know he's, he's not. not. He's There's not. something about how he's entering the frame and how he's got that tilt and how the, the guy is hopping over the thing and this is some sort of invasion. So you just intuit that this guy is moving. And just he no speed lines, no blurry nothing, no, no weird crap, just solid draftsmanship and intentionality. Right. And so this action continues. And again, it's I would argue that this element, this line 
aside from looking appropriate for a hospital, is also meant to make you feel like there is side to side movement. And there's mm-hmm. a reason it comes back up right here, right in front of his face, leading mm-hmm. him to the right of the frame. Dude, see this level of thought. And again, look at that little negative space under his chin, where his that, that little baby, you see that? There's something to, he loves that stuff. He, yeah. Because if you fudged it, it wouldn't look right. Yeah. If you did it where it's a tangent, if you added more chin to him, which he's known to do, it wouldn't necessarily sell this. So, man, look at this guy. I love this guy. It's yeah, it's great. So then this scene continues. Now we get to where we need to go. So the horizontal oh. lines stop, right? Yep. And now with not a ton of detail, a head, a foot, and a drawing on the wall, we understand exactly where we're at, and it is mm-hmm. terrifying. And now, again, we don't need to see all these babies he's about to kill because that would almost be distasteful. But just the fact that we're seeing the number of these hanging curtains tells us, oh, there's a lot of babies in this room. Yes. And then we're like, no, it's not going to happen. And here is where we pull that building design back into it because we remember that up on the hill over the city with these hard horizontal window rows is the hospital, and that's what happens when he lights it up. Dude, and uh, I love how, like, when we were over on the hill, the lights were all yellow. This is all white because that's the type of energy discharge that he's shooting out. He's taking over the lighting. It's it's conquering the fluorescent lighting scheme. Right. Uh, lighting scheme. Yeah. And, again, every Atomo brick he doesn't give a damn. He's he's showing, and they're not bricks. They're they're chunks. Yeah, they're know? they're debris. It's just debris. But there's something he does too, and and this will come up over and over again. His debris is it's not just a cloud of debris. There is power and direction behind those clumps of debris. It is blowing out of the building in a way that just feels like there's weight and movement behind it. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, just incredible storytelling, even if that's a little bit of a savage scene there. <laughs> I mean, those dudes are trying did. to, I guess they're trying to take out Jenny Quantum. Quantum, yeah. The, yeah, the new Jenny Sparks that's going to come and kick some ass later. Yeah. All right. So, um, oh, this is one of my favorites. Yes. Yes. I had to put a little Jack Hawksmore action in here. Um, again, we see him doing this thing where it's like the, the, the panel layout is very simple, but by just adding that little bit of an angle, that Dutch angle, suddenly the power of this explosion is rocking the whole world sideways. And now we zoom out and we don't need to see a lot, but just seeing these little details, we can tell there's a city and they've been blowing some shit up in these craters. And now look at this fluid, amazing um, figure drawing on Jack Hawksmoor as he flips to avoid this gunfire. Like just so dynamic, such an amazing choice to, to, again, tilt that frame, put him in between these two buildings, which he is commanding to collapse. So Mm -hmm. you were establishing his relationship. Here are the small guys that are firing at him. And now we just zoom in as those buildings obey his command and crush these fucking guys. Dude, there's sma- one guy's head gets smashed into his body cavity, and another guy gets stabbed by uh, a giant pane of glass. And like, uh, my my girl's uh, mom is like a city engineer or something, 
And long story boring, when the big one hits, there's going to be skyscraper glass mm. 10 feet high in every ermine area. So good luck. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck getting around in that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, good luck surviving that on any yeah. level. If you're down on the ground, you're getting rained on by glass. If you're up in the sky, what are you going to do? Wade through 12 feet of glass. <laughs> like <laughs> you're asked out if the big one comes. I also think it's w- worth pointing out in this, in this frame. Um, again, this little Jeep here, didn't need to be drawn with that much detail and that much care to that little bit of perspective, but it is because that helps sell. That helps sell. And look at this cityscape too. There's no lights. There's just this little bit of damage on these buildings and the lack of windows, right? If we go back to here and we look at this city, half of these buildings at night are illuminated. You could see their window layouts. There's a depth to it. Now we go to this city And there are these squat little buildings that just exist in these giant chunks of silhouette. And then we're looking at it here and there's no windows. There's just these very utilitarian uh, stairwells. And we automatically understand, oh, we're in some third world country here. And it's just, it's just those choices. He's just making enough choices with the detail to tell you exactly what you need to know. Yeah, man. Hawksmore, you two apartment blocks down. And then they just slam on these guys like a guy who could throw a p- city blocks at you. Damn, the authority is fresh. Can you just get on it, James Gunn? Oh, so, yeah, seriously. Um, this was a great little moment that I found. This is a quiet. I mean, up until the, the action here at the bottom, which deserves to be talked about itself. But just this this sequence of our characters backs looking as a portal opens and all these super people pile out. And now we reverse the angle. And again, the acting, none of them are scared, but this guy, the midnighter in particular is just getting ready to wreck shop. And the fact that we go back angle, front angle, push into his eyes is Mm -hmm. just the platonic ideal of a <laughs> let's kick some ass moment. Dude, and then just the push, uh, uh, the the horizontal motion of him jumping into the guys. He's got his foot kicking a guy in the neck. You know, he's, he's slamming a dude with that pipe that he's got. It's just, there's something to, and just his hand, his front hand. Mm. There's something to the magic of that. It sells this sort of flying V shape that he's in when he's doing his kick. It just, so much of this is, his communication. There's so much communication on all these pages and like storytelling. Yeah. I mean, storytelling is obviously communication, but he's communicating stuff with even the stuff that you don't notice really. Cause that, that guy, that little Wolfman character down at the bottom, yeah. he's getting set up for a grand fuck on, on the next <laughs> couple of pages. He's going to get messed up, but you got to establish him so that we yeah. can get it later. I, uh, I don't have those pages, but I do want to just point out that like the fluidity of this action, the fact that like, again, none of these characters are in poster poses, yeah. but they're all in poses that sell the action about as well as it can be sold. And then yes. going back to this image of Hawksmoor and just like the crazy gymnastics and the way that this is being portrayed where you can just feel the weight and the movement. It's like, I know exactly what move that guy is executing just from this one little frame that he's showing me. Yeah. He's it, starting. He, 
Oh, he picks the he, no. He just picks the great moments. He picks. Correct. I think so much of comic art is picking the right moment for the panel. There is a moment two seconds before that top panel, two seconds after that bot, that middle panel, and so on and so forth that aren't quite as dynamic. He's really good at picking like the right moment, or face it, making up that moment. You know, designing that moment. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting here because this is where he really starts to master his approach to American superheroes. This mm. idea of like I'm, and it is very manga influenced, but I'm gonna freeze frame just these perfect moments of like extreme body positions in the middle of this action, and that's something that I think he perfects going into his next couple projects, which are gonna be New X Men um, into. Uh, all-Star Superman's in there. I don't know that that's really action heavy, but especially in Batman and Robin, his yeah. approach to action just surpasses anything you've ever seen, really. Mm-hmm. Um, we can blow through this a little bit quickly. This is just another, this kind of just shows everything that he does well in a non-action sequence. This is the origin of this, this creepy little guy, Jacob Kriegstein, who's essentially recruited into creating super people for the government. And mm-hmm. so... It's, again, just beautiful stuff. Super people flying out of his lair, the scale of it, the fact that he gives you these foreground elements to show you the overwhelming swarm with their shadows on the ground, but then enough of this vast landscape so that you can see they recede so much that, oh, my God, there's got to be thousands. Yeah, absolutely. Then down into this where it's like you see this guy working, and this is just some super fresh cartooning where it's like, his motion, his attitude, everything about him is correct. And the way that the team is watching him and feeling a little bit weird about it. There's even some caricature going on with uh, George Bush senior and his wife uh, mm-hmm. as the, as the team is in the background, watching that happened. The fall of the Berlin wall um, again, just reveling in sort of like the, the everyday life of these people in this graffiti and portraying this moment in time. And then just some straight up beautiful black and white drawing of this pond in Central Park where you're getting just enough of the city to understand that it's Central Park. You're getting this great little scratchy wash uh, in, uh. The, in the water. You're getting this unbelievable perspective on this little, um, you know, slanted cobblestone edge of the water. Mm-hmm. And then the way he puts the team in sh- in the shadow of this tree so that you can overlap these foreground figures with the team in the background. Uh, again, just and the fact that he justifies that by adding these heavy shadows under these trees across the pond. What choice? Like just this is just an incredible page and really nothing of note much happens on it. I just thought that was so cool. Well, yeah. I mean, as far as superhero action, no, but it's like, Correct. yeah, telling the telling the whole story of them going into the mind of the the Einstein of superheroes in this universe and how he was used and abused and or rather given too much abuse. He was used and abused maybe in his own life, but mm-hmm. then he becomes so powerful in this one thing that he kind of goes off the rails. And yeah, dude, I I love the storytelling. Yeah, and again, it's it's the sort of thing that. People try to people try to get too clever with this stuff when they draw it, where it's like the team here is essentially in like a virtual reality construct. And yeah, there's so much extracurricular bullshit, to use your phrase, Ed, that you could do of like <laughs> intercutting between them or them being rendered in such a way that like this is on some sort of heads up display or whatever. And 
just the fact that he chooses the simple five panel stack and just placing them in interesting places to show that they're watching all this unfold. You, yep. you can't do it better. It's so good. Um, just a little action here again, just selling how good he's getting at action. Midnighter flying a fighter jet through this villain, Seth. Beautiful, um, you know, perspective establishing the wear of the action, the push in, the acting on the face, the blood and the gore. We know he's been through the ringer. This gigantic explosion where you can tell that it's so powerful, it's vaporizing the uh, the the jet. And then here, the carrier in orbit over Earth, this gigantic 50-mile-long ship with this huge explosion knocking it sideways. And the fact yeah. that it's that yaw in it is so good. Yeah, and, and his rendition of the carrier is beautiful. Oh, sure, throw that in there. But yeah, the 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 push, you're right. That just it's it's shoving it. And you can see that. And again, if you look at the third panel, mm-hmm. the, the plane that's slamming is tilted one way. You look at the bottom panel, Whew. it's tilted the other way to kind of show you the yep. between those two images, you get a that sound that I made. Yeah. No, you do. I mean, it's it's gorgeous. And this is the closest to, I guess, the sort of cinematic that you would be able to replicate on screen. And like you get exactly how you would film these four panels and it would be sick. (laughs) Yep. Absolutely. I mean, the fact that he didn't just quit and go draw storyboards, you could draw half a drawing and get twice as much. Yeah. I think he really loves comics and what comics can do. Yeah, for sure. Um, Just a little bit more of the authority here. This is a, a great establishing shot. Again, he can draw a splash page. It might not be the kind of thing you put on a poster, but to establish some story, this dude will do it for you. Well, the different heights of helicopters and them sort of observing this dude who got his legs blown off, and and I think Apollo flew through his head. Mm-hmm. And just he's just he's just messed up. And and just the the scale of destruction. You've got like just the foundations that have been blown out underneath him. Mm-hmm. You know, some buildings still standing here on the bottom, but then these twisted fallen buildings all over the top. Like it's just it gives you all the information to know where what just happened in this story. Dude, I would pay if if I got tomorrow fifty million dollars. I would pay Frank quietly to draw like a a Godzilla versus somebody oh. small oh. type type thing you know like so something big versus somebody small dealer's choice yeah give me 30 32 pages stat you know yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd pay for that yeah i mean even just like the g the little jeeps driving up towards yeah. his crotch. like <laughs> oh my god so, he's a, i can't say it enough he's a master of scale and it just yeah keeps better as he as he goes on um, nope, you can barely see that one. So I'm just, that's a small one. I'm just going to move on. Oh, it's this picture. This, so this is another one of those establishing shots at the top of a book. Uh, New York has just been flooded and that is some grim shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just bodies floating and just that, that weird light that comes down diffusing through, um, through water. Yeah. Well, the fact that, you know, you could see the water level because there's the buildings rising above it. And he just, he draws the water line receding in perspective. Um, and again, just, just all these, all these vehicles and everything and the way that the bodies are floating, but all this heavy metal shit has settled to the bottom. Dude, and as we were saying in the Patreon, the reason why it was so like, 
such a great um, decision to put him on the book is even though he draws ugly and even though his stuff isn't this and that, blah, blah, who else could follow Hitch yeah. on on this book to show this sort of giant action? Who, el- who else would you get? Some tracer that's drawing porn faces on chicks and stuff? Like <laughs> some person who doesn't know perspective and just draws everything as a flat stack? Who are you going to get to follow Brian Hitch other than this guy? I mean, even a guy like Jim, like Jim Lee draws pretty, pretty panels, but they all are essentially just meant to be money shots of the heroes. And like yeah. there's nary a superhero in sight in this full page splash. And God damn, if it doesn't have an impact. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, this is just some. Oh, this was this was the authority um, evacuating Earth. And so this is just, <laughs> this is just four panels of people packing up to leave. And again, you can see how much Frank Whiteley loves everyday life as these mm-hmm. parents are putting their everything in a suitcase and he's comforting the daughter as the mother breaks down with the baby in the background. And these neighbors are saying goodbye as they're strapping everything to their cars. Now the car, and again, these aren't the same people, but there's a progression here. So yeah. now the cars loaded up with everything are in these giant lines. There's signs up. There's authority figures who are, who are directing them. It's a mass migration. And where is that mass migration going to these giant doors in the distance, which the story is already set up is leading to different earths. Yep. Yep. Crazy economy. The the economy of comics period, and definitely the economy of comics in the hands of masters like Miller and, and quietly, it's just, it's a big deal. And look at, look at this curved street. Like, he he gives you these hard horizontals that just draw your eye to this focal point, but then everything else just shows it's a it's a soft curve up there into that door. Yep, a, yep. A little bit of perspective on these buildings here, the way the perspective changes from here to these over here. Oh, the perspective on these buses, dude. I mean, it's just I I don't. Uh, Piscor called him a, a, a unicorn, somebody who can draw mm. um, figures and cartoon and storytell and draw backgrounds and draw vehicles. Like nobody can do all of that at, at one time. All the people that you revere are weak in one of those areas. And this guy, you want if you say his style of figure drawing, whatever, but his figures are always acting. Show There's me, people, show you me. know. Another artist who gives you this much personality and realism in the in the posture, in the way mm-hmm. these people stand and interact with each other, with the stuff that they're hand with the props, the you know. and the shapes of everybody. Like there are so many people. I find myself when I'm drawing something where I have to draw multiple figures, watch two or three of them be the buffest people of all time or the sexiest women of all time, and it's just mm-hmm. why why did I draw that? Because mm-hmm. it's easy. The ideal mm-hmm. is so easy. This old pot, this old pot-bellied lady saying goodbye, that's your mom. Whoever that's your a, mom is, that's your yeah, mom. That's that, some that, 60-year-old woman on the block, and there's her old husband, and they've been married for 40 years, and you get that immediately. Yes. So much of that is and that that immediacy. It started even in Flex Metal, and it keeps going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is a graduation of a lot of stuff we saw. Like, the that scene of Flex Mentallo in the cafeteria where he takes the time to give every single person a distinct personality. Um, that cover, uh, the, the very first image we showed of of seeing those perfectly that perfectly drawn VW bus 
in perspective. He's doing it over and over again in these panels. <laughs> Boy, yeah. Crazy, crazy stuff. All right. So now we've made it to New X-Men. He does a lot in New X-Men, but I th- <laughs> I think this is really where he perfects his style of action. As we said, he got mm. comfortable with it on the authority. I think he brings it over the top here. But one of the things worth noting is he redesigned all of the X-Men. And he came up with this jacket motif that just, to me, fucking works. It yeah. calls back to the original dark blue and yellow Jack Kirby designs while being completely modern, while having the aesthetic of a uniform, while still ha- giving enough space for every character to customize to their own personality. And you could see it here from the uh, from the concept art, like just brilliant design work. Dude, I love every single thing about this. And I got to say, a comic book drawn like this, just with about this much level of detail, just sort of like, just just jam it in. I'm not saying he took less time on any of this besides the sketchier parts, but mm-hmm. I am saying this sort of aesthetic is just very powerful. And I love everybody. Dude, Scott and Wolverine having basically the same style of jacket, but worn on a different body. Yep. It's perfect for their characters for them to be sort of the same because they're trying to get the same girl, baby. Well, I I love what he does with um with body language. I mean, he was the first guy I saw to portray Scott Summers as tall and thin, as his name is Slim. Right. That's his nickname. This is the first time I ever saw him drawn where that made sense to me. Right. Um And, you know, I think it's worth noting, like, these concept sketches are something, like, he inked himself here. He gets a lot of flack for especially drawings of, like, Jean Grey and and, um, Emma Frost for being ugly in various ways. We're going to explore it as we move through it, but I think it's worth noting that these designs and his approach to these characters have a lot better of an aesthetic when he's the one taking the drawing to completion. Um, I agree. I yeah. do agree with that. And that's what I think maybe that's what I'm saying about this style, this sort of scratchy, like maybe this isn't reproduced on the best paper type of, you know, uh, aesthetic to yeah. his art. I think it might be more affecting than really polished. I know. And it's weird, too, because I don't know that he would ever publish anything like this because he does value such a polished finish. But like, yeah, I mean, a lot of his sketchier stuff. It's it's interesting, but even just the fact that he comes up, you know, he comes up with the jacket look, but then he's like, all right, what would they wear underneath? And they're all mm-hmm. going to have some variation of this ribbed kind of skin tight, you know, for lack of a better term, like battle shirt. And um, again, it's so different than your traditional superhero spandex, but it just works for the X-Men. Yeah, and I th- I think honestly, what's funny is uh, obviously Hitch's work on the Ultimates, but a lot of Quietly's in the the modern superhero costume as well. Very much so. All right, so this is the first image we see of Frank Quietly's X Men, and goddamn. So, the first thing I want to point out is again, this is one image that makes use of the way you read to tell the story. So, boom, we come in. Wolverine is in the middle of eviscerating a sentinel, and that sentinel's head is cut off, and oh, so is its hand. Oh, there's its head. 
getting blasted in the cerebral cortex by uh, Cyclops, who looks very calm. So clearly they haven't had a hard time with the Sentinel. And as we continue down, oh, by the way, they're saving this guy. And there's that hand that was missing. And to tie it all together, we're in Sydney. So they're operating internationally. And that is a single image read in the direction in which we read here in the West, left to right, top to bottom. What an amazing piece of design. Right. And the only reason why he doesn't draw that sentinel butt is the explosion. Yes. The explosion is covering up the sentinel's butt. Otherwise, he would have totally drawn it. Well, and I think that works, too, because it it makes you stop paying attention to the figure after you get the information that you need. No yep. head, no hand. Now we don't care about the rest of the figure. We're going right. to show you more important stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, this tilted angle too. Oh my it's God. It's tilted to accentuate the action, of course, but also to show you that like, even if he isn't tilting it as though, though the world is wrong, the world is wrong because the X-Men look weird. They're so self-assured. They're not on the run. They're bad dudes. They got these weird uniforms on. This is a change up to the status quo. So that's why I'm, I'm touching it. 100%. And I do want to point out, we mentioned earlier how he starts coming up with these techniques to hide the extraneous detail that he doesn't want to draw, but also isn't going to be lazy enough to just not draw. And this very strategically placed smoke is something that will come up again and again, where, look, it's not important to see the rest of this Sentinel. So I'm just going to compose it where I can have a nice explosion there that erases the rest of his body. Yep. Yeah. Um, All right. So I did want to point out, as I mentioned early in the episode, um, the anchor on Quitely's new X-Men is Tim Townsend. Quitely has been outspoken that while he thinks Townsend is extraordinarily talented, and he is, he didn't think that they were a good match. Um, A couple things happening here. Townsend has a tendency to really lean into these heavy blacks I don't know if all of this was necessarily penciled by Quitely. I could maybe see it being, but I do think that, you know, if we go back to this previous panel, like this level of heavy black, you know, through the Sentinel's body, into the head, into the hand, into that shadow, is not really something you see in a lot of his work. And especially things like things like these really fine feathering lines. Yeah. And I, I just want to, from what I understand, I believe Tim Townsend leaned very heavy into like line weights and shadows to try to give more form to Quitely's drawings and then didn't quite know what to make of those very strategic ticky-tack sort of texture lines. And they come across a little bit arbitrary in these Tim Townsend inked pieces in a way that they don't on other Quitely drawings. Yep. Agreed. So that's something you see here, but I mean, still some really excellent use of shadow and excellent acting on this page. Um, Yeah. Professor X looks like such a freaking weirdo. He does. (laughs) Which he should look like he should. They always make him so appealing. And I always thought it was interesting that he was just sort of this like, yeah, give me your children. I'll take them to upstate New York. (laughs) (laughs) I love the fact too, that like he leans so heavy into those eyebrows which were mm-hmm. a Jack Kirby affectation when he drew the original book. 
But like, this is what this is what you do, man. You you don't fucking try to redeem it in any way. You say, no, this motherfucker's got some long ass eyebrows that curl up into points for some reason. That's just mm-hmm. what he looks like. Right. And he wants you to trust him. Yeah. Um, all right. I don't know what happened there. So again, this is just more example of the Tim Townsend inking where, you know, just the, even the treatment of these folds it just feels heavy handed. There's so much feathering on all these black areas, um, even down to sort of these line weight changes on the ribbing. It doesn't look bad, but you could see how that's not really what fright, what Quitely's artwork has looked like up to this point. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, kind of, I like it in the area of the pants. I do, too. I don't like it in the area of the jacket. Yeah. Yeah, it starts to – the reason I, 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 I'm i harping on this is because I think this is about the time that he starts getting this bum rap for drawing lumpy bodies. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's just interesting that it coincides with this Tim Townsend inking because um, this does look lumpy. And that's – to this point, it, it, this looks lumpier than his bodies have looked up to this point. I'm just going to say that. Also, I got to say, Cat Beast either sucks or rocks. I don't <laughs> know which yeah. one. Yeah. I, I really don't. It ain't it ain't middle of the road. It isn't something that's just acceptable and fine. No, 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 no. It sucks or it rocks. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know which one. And it is it is Quitely who invented that look, the Cat Beast look. Yeah, I don't know either. But again, the strategically placed smoke uh juxtaposed with these very detailed piles of rubble and yes it is him uh letting himself off the hook for drawing certain things but he draws a hell of a lot to really sell you on what's going on in this environment i mean skeletons man and and this again this dutch that he's standing straight up but he's on something that's dutch like the the world is messed up he's the upright figure in a dutch world yes no absolutely um Oh, now you can see people seeing these drawings uh-huh. too. Oh my God! Uh-huh. Right, right on the heels. It's it's years and years after Jim Lee, by the way. But for fans, it's right on the heels of Jim Lee. So you cut from Brian Hitch to this guy. You know, you cut to Jim Lee to this guy. What the what? It, it it's undeniably weird looking, right? Like I'm <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to cover for that again. I think some of it may be the inking, especially in the faces. We've seen him consistently draw at least more cohesive faces, and these look a little lopsided and unfinished in a way that we haven't seen mm-hmm. from Quitely. And again, I'm tempted to write that off to Tim Townsend didn't know what to do with the little tiny tick marks that Quitely leaves all over his art, and it just came out weird looking. And also maybe even deadlines, you know. Yeah, no, for sure. But even even with all that said, none of these characters are posing. All of these characters are standing like real yeah. people. Yeah, I agree with that assessment. Yeah, and there's some nice little shadows. There's little shadows to kind of denote certain things. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's interesting. But Emma Frost, man, she's the least. It's, it's a weird looking body. Also, though, you got to remember, she's also wearing like eight inch platforms. And so her (laughs) legs end up looking distended. But like that's somewhat intentional. I don't know. Um, Yeah, 
it's weird, but it's again, it's an it might be an acquired taste, but it is it's it's weird in a different way than he's been weird so far, and will be weird after. So this also, is a specific one thing I'm, Yeah, yeah, and one thing I'm noticing this is low key his Bigfoot phase. Mm. He's in a little bit of Herberto Ramosville. Yeah, that's in, interesting. In this area, you know what I'm saying? It even was a little bit apparent in the um the uh concept art drawings that we were looking at. When you yeah. first the first Wolverine one that we were looking at and some oh, of the yeah. guys, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Scott's yeah. got big big chompers, uh, you know, oh, look at him beast, there. obviously. You know what I'm saying? That there's like these these little Bigfoot era. It's interesting. That's it. Is. So here's again some of that great um, just stacked panel middle of the frame storytelling. This also is notable, though, because it introduces this entirely new way to visualize Cerebro. Um, yeah. And goddamn, is it good? <laughs> no, yeah, I, I love it. And obviously just showing, again, scale. This yes. whole this this guy, this monster is more or less as big as the island. Well, this goes to your Godzilla um, comment. Like mm-hmm. Frank quietly drawn a Godzilla comic would just be next level shit. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Even better than Art Adams, which is saying something. Well, and I love the fact too, like, again, it's the little things. This smoke plume is going high enough that it's getting caught in the jet stream. So it's like, mm-hmm. that's part of showing the scale as well. Like, yes, it's not just continuing up into infinity, no, it's flattening out because it's getting caught in the in the winds. And so like you get, oh shit, like that is a high plume of smoke, but we've zoomed out so much that like we can see where it stops. And the reason we've zoomed out so much is because, oh wait, we're in a mental construct and Xavier is watching all this from a literal God's eye view. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um so some of the action I was talking about. Here is a little beast attacking, uh, I think this is Cassandra Nova, but again, the, the panels are not super um, dynamically laid out, but look at the art. This beast jumping horizontally from the shadows, this weird mental projection energy creature with a hundred different arms, beast gets, um, what is even happening there? <laughs> oh, those are his those are his two paws and he's got two uh, syringes. That's right. So he's holding two syringes as you can see there. Yeah, and, and he's trying to thumbs. trying to jab them. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. being jabbed in. You see all these arms reacting and then there's an explosion where he's flying backwards along with all this glass and shit that was in the air and he bang hits the wall and all these other guys are like, "Oh goddamn, like that didn't work." And it's just uh, debris man debris sells it and even and this isn't a great example of him using debris frankly no but it is it's there though the shadows of debris even are on the walls you know what i'm saying just like well it's like we said like this is an explosion but there is not a single speed line there is nothing that like a comic book artist would usually use to sell an explosion. It's just the placement of debris and the placement of their shadows. And you immediately get, Oh, that is a huge, powerful ass and the body language. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just in the drawing. There's no tricks being employed here, you know? Yeah, And it lets the colorist do, do a job, like make the color, of the explosion consistent with the room or have, have a certain amount of the room lit up by the, you know, so on and so forth. 
Yeah, I mean, letting the colorist do do the work is something that will he'll continue to evolve to embrace as well. That's a really good point. Um, all right, so here's another bit of the action, and this is some this is some great a new X Men action here. So <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, a super powered car chase, which you don't see a lot. Usually, car chases are in like spy books and not superhero books. So I love the the balls on Morrison's part. But so Beast is on the ground after an explosion. The car speeds away, tiny in the distance already. That's how fast it's going. We've got Zorn here looking back over his shoulder. Man, is Beast okay? Cyclops doesn't even care. Zorn is lining up to jump out of the vehicle. So he's out on the door as we're speeding towards this fiery guy going towards the gas station. Cyclops does his... his, uh, Optic blast through the windshield, which nails this guy, knocks him into the gas station. They fishtail to a stop. Zorn is in midair, having jumped off the uh, off the car, lands on this um, this concrete truck, which they've established here. Tips it over, and they trap the guy as as after Cyclops knocks him over, like. I don't, I don't even know what to say. I'm just, I'm just shaking my head because it's like, again, you give somebody this script and they're just like so many ways you can interpret that. And the fact that these are mostly horizontal panels, mostly meant to be read fast. Um, you know, there is no speed line still really, but no. there is the trail, the kind of contrail as it were of the, uh, which is not what it is, but you know, that light trail mm-hmm. of the, the, the headlights or rather the taillights as they fishtail over there. And some of the fire effects are showing the direction of things. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just, I really love this sort of stuff, the sort of a combo action, like the team working together and they each have their little part and stuff. There is something to writing that sort of action. And then of course, illustrating it. There's also something to the fact that like, you establish and stick with a consistent geography. Like it would be so easy to draw all these actions in isolation where it's like, Oh, kick-ass shot of him riding the door. And then, yeah, this is a cool shot of him blasting the optic blast, but let's just get a close up of this guy getting his head blown off. But no, like they establish here's where they are in relation to beast. They're zooming down the road. You see their surroundings in the reflection, which now we see in the opposite angle that they're moving toward. Here's this gas station. Here's this guy running. And that relationship of the car to the guy to the gas station is going to be maintained in almost every panel until we get to the resolution of the fight. And And that that bus driving away gives you a certain amount of distance and it's smaller because they stopped the guy. And that at the bottom right of the uh, bottom panel of the first page that's where the the truck is. That's where they yeah. establish a truck, that little flume. And then it's established again and then again. Yep. And then, so you can't miss it. Okay. Yep. You can't misinterpret this. And this figure is almost all black against an almost all white part of the panel. And it's exactly where these effects start. So if you're reading this again, reading left to right, okay. Oh, the car is fishtailed. And Oh, by the way, Right from where the car started fishtailing, he jumped. And where did he jump? To that, to that concrete truck. It's, Absolutely. Again, like you don't have to do all this. You don't, you could just draw cool shots of isolated parts of it. He says, no, fuck that. I'm gonna take care of the reader. I'm gonna show them the entire geography. 
I'm going to show them hap things happening simultaneously. No other comic book artists go to this length to draw an action scene. It just, they just don't. Yep. Oh, so there's a huge amount of, um, like psychic battles and entering the psychic plane in this new X-Men run. Mm -hmm. And this is a great example. This is quietly at some of his quietliest. Um, <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be two pages here. So it continues into the next page. Yeah, making look, the bridge walking. Oh my yeah. God, dude, the, the bridge assembling as she walks. And it's like, I don't know how you, you pack so much movement. Like, you understand exactly what is happening here. You could see this playing out as if it were animated. Mm -hmm. And then she's going to, the, I guess, Professor X's uh, fortress because that's his, it's protected by a bunch of his minds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's also interesting. Look at the shape her hair is making here. <laughs> yep, yep. I mean, the guy, the guy knows his stuff, baby. Just a little phoenix shape there. Anyway, so... Then we enter, there's there's these crossed swords that obviously form the shape of an X. She arrives, she's on the shore, she blasts open those doors, she walks up the stairs, she's walking up the stairs. Look those the are letters, those are letters that, that are making like words in his mind that he can't quite spell out because they're all yes. mixed up. Oh, man. And again, going back to Batman, the Scottish connection, look at the brickwork. Just oh, don't every remind brick, me. Every don't brick. remind me. <laughs> and then finally, this absolutely gonzo, surrealistic image of Professor X chained down with this giant globular head surrounded by his wheelchair and crutches. And you can clearly understand that this is his wheelchair, but it's completely disassembled into its constituent parts and orbiting him like he's a planet. And then beyond that, child's drawings up on that immaculate brickwork and bodies with gas masks. And you immediately understand that this is all some sort of representation of deep primal childhood um, fears and, and senses of, of uh, self-doubt. And he's just been weighed down by all of it. And it's th I, this is famously a wordless issue. It's a totally silent issue. So it's just the drawings telling this story and you do not need any words when you have art this good. Oh, hell no. Dude. I, oh, Lord. Yeah. I'm also thinking that it is, it is so funny that we, again, so many people just dismiss this because it wasn't, you know, just like a lot of the X-Men art that they were, that they wanted to see, but I don't know if somebody besides him could have done this. I, I would argue nobody could like it or at least anybody else who tried, it would look shittier. Mm -hmm. Like you cannot convince me that another person could have drawn, especially a sequence like this between the self-assembling bridge up to ascending the tower and then seeing that image of Professor X. I mean, maybe somebody like Raphael Grampa who has a, similar approach to like detail and figure work as quietly. All right. I mean, you might have to go as weird as like M Mobius or something. Well, right. just somebody that's just this master of the surreal and master of these environments or whatever. But it's like, come on, you're trying to get this done monthly in America for like, you know, a couple hundred bucks a page. 
You yeah. can't get you can't get Mobius can't get Moebius for this. Well, one. I, I mean, Mo, yeah, Moebius was uh, had passed away by this time too. So um, yeah, you know, he wasn't even an option. But yeah, I mean, this is just uh, amazing stuff. Like here's some here's some uncolored work, and I mean, look at the oh god, <laughs> look at look at the beauty with which Cassandra Nova shoving her hand through this guy's face is rendered. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> and it's and it's weirder than her just forcing her way through his skull or something. It's like this psychic invasion, this nasty uh, uh, possession sort of thing. It's just it's worse than having your face ripped apart. Yeah, th- this is this is kind of what we mean by like only Frank Whiteley is going to draw this thing this way. You know what I mean? Yeah, skin. And the, the cleanness of the rendering, the fact that this isn't splattered and there aren't like there isn't blood squirting everywhere. There isn't like his skin is ripping or whatever. Just the fact that this is rendered so cleanly is almost more disconcerting than any other approach. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Which is not to say he can't do detail because Jesus Christ, look at the level of detail on this robot in the bottom panel. <laughs> I mean, that's why I wasn't even going to comment on that stuff because it's like to the design work that he does so often. I mean, he could just be getting I mean, if some of these machines were anywhere near functional, he could be getting paid by NASA or something. You know, just the level of technical drawing detail that he uses for something that may or may not ever show up again, something that represents some of some reality that may be smashed tomorrow. Just I. And just, I love all the, like, the ephemera in that, whatever that piece of machinery is, when you go, that weird spider thing, you go over to the right, all that ephemera inside the hole of that machine, that little, those little, all that bullshit, all the business inside of, like, the, uh, go over to the right, that, that little fat, but yeah, all that stuff right there. Yeah. What the fuck is that? That's just little lines, little, little, to communicate the intricacy of what's inside there. But it's it, what's weird is it's not just like Jack Kirby designy, you know, configurations of lines. Like he puts these lines and these shadows together in such a way that there is like depth to it. Like it all looks functional. It's so weird. <laughs> um, this is also and, funny because this looks like a giant robot made out of a plane fuselage. And uh, that guy does show up again in All-Star Superman. So that might be a design that he'd been trying to work into a book for a long time. Yeah. I mean, if, you, if you're just going to have to make a big, weird background, you might as well populate it with stuff that you're working on. Yeah. No, 100%. Some for you, some for them. Um, Just some more amazing storytelling here. You know, this is Charles Xavier being psychically invaded by his um, – by his uh, – unknown sister Cassandra Nova and so there's a psychic attack happening and we see it all by just these juxtaposition of very um, specific details and it just works yeah yeah can't say it better than that uh, the, the the blood coming out of Professor X's nose, the acting with his hands and his, his great effect. And again, those hands, I love, love, love that hand. You're you're going over right there. Just uh, there's something. It, it's funny that you could tell the people who are biting off of Frank quietly because shit like that'll show up, but not motivated by anything. Right, and it'll show up even though they're wearing gloves and shit. You know, right. Yeah, no, that's a great because like look at the difference in texture between that ribbed shirt that quietly designed for everybody and then his hand. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, 
He, he knows what he's doing. The other thing I want to point out, this, this Cerebro helmet with the giant circular X that goes all the way down over his eyes, aside from being another piece of uh, beautifully rendered machinery and perspective here, this is a design that persists to this day. In fact, yep. the House of X, Professor X, in the current X-Men storyline is wearing this helmet all the time for some nefarious reason. And so mm -hmm. this was a design that Quitely came up with for this series, and it has stuck with the X-Men ever since. Yep. And, oh, and so that ends here. Again, there's just something beautiful about the reality of that gun, the way that it's three-dimensional, his hand is wrapped around it, the way it's interacting with the helmet to kind of push it up, that little bit that it's pushing into his flesh at his cheek, even down to you know, the detail on this weird wire that's coming down in front of it just to sell the fact that it's like this helmet, he just went through hell with this helmet and he's all disheveled. It's like this weird detailed insert piece, but he puts so much time and energy mm -hmm. into everything. Like, again, nothing is cheated here. Yep, and that thin mouth acting on the second panel is just... Those lips. Look at those little cracked lips. Yep. Uh, so there she is, Cassandra Nova, trapping Charles Xavier in her mind. Yeah, with the little bars coming down like crow makeup on his face. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Another piece of great storytelling here with uh, the X-Men fighting Cassandra Nova. Um, Wolverine has got her in a headlock. Cyclops' visor is off, but he's telling her things are over. Wolverine is freaking out and you see just the hint of those claws coming out and she is not the least bit bothered by it. Again, the clarity of these of the acting in these figures is just something that other comic artists wish they could do. Like mm -hmm. the attitude that she's giving off here in this last panel, the way she's looking at the claws and that little hint of a Mona Lisa smirk, the arch in her eyebrows, the fact that her head moved ever so slightly from this panel to this panel where she's almost turning into Wolverine's attack. Yes. He is in full on berserker rage mode, just shows you how unbothered she is by everything. Yep. Absolutely. I, I definitely love that. And that last panel is the one that's, that's just beautiful. Yeah. And again, great use of shadow here, uh, spotting blacks in a way that he's often not recognized for. Um, so, <laughs> There's a bit more new X-Men. I do just want to go through this uh, sequence, the death of Quentin Choir here. So, <laughs> just the acting from panel to panel. Charles mm -hmm. Xavier essentially telling him it's over. Then Charles Xavier gasping and ripping this off his mouth because there's something going on behind this kid that is getting him all hot and bothered. He turns and Charles is now horrified. And oh yeah, it's the Stepford Cuckoos, these extremely powerful psychic sisters with a cerebral projection of Emma Frost in between them. And that mm -hmm. is one of the more disturbing things you will ever see in an X-Men comic. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And again, look at all that stuff coming. Basically, the, 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 the power of them showing up psychically blows wind and debris. You know what I'm saying? Because otherwise, it's just some girls walking. But well, the, he, you know, yeah, gives invests it with that power. And the fact that he takes the time to like create perspective 
from this these leaves in this shard in the extreme foreground to these leaves in the mid foreground, which are still in front of the girls but are now in shadow, to then the smaller bits behind them, it's like you really get a sense that th- th- this this stuff is swirling around them in all directions. Yeah. It's not it's not just a guy taking a paint or a, a toothbrush and flicking paint to give you the sense of smoke swirling. I mean, he is drawing debris in three dimensions swirling around these people. Yep. And so there's Emma Frost in Cerebro itself. We could see her nose bleeding with the stress. And now that uh, corresponds directly to her projection with the girls in the field. And now there's all of that um, debris that we've established on the per- previous page, all blowing toward him, his hair blowing back. Something bad is about to happen. And God damn, look at that drawing. <laughs> As his nervous system is separated from his skeleton, which is separated from his muscular system, which is separated from his skin, which is separated from the holistic version of him all intersecting each other with the force and power of all of the debris now being blown past him. Mm -hmm. And it just communicates it again. Look at that wonderful brickwork. Oh my God. Yeah. And and there's another good example of like, he's not drawn all the brickwork because he needs to establish that we're still on that step, but it would get too busy if we brought it down into here. So just put a little energy effect there and then you don't have to worry about it. It's communicate. just choi- choices and composition, yeah. Yeah, can communicate something. Like if you have to take some detail out to communicate something, there's so many. Even my my um regular drawing, sometimes I'll find myself being like, yeah, this is Spider-Man swinging past these buildings. Ah, shit, I shouldn't have drawn so many buildings because <laughs> now it just takes away from the arc of the swing. I got to delete some buildings. I spent two hours drawing buildings, and now I'm just going to swipe them away or draw a bird there or a cloud. Yeah, I am, because it, it opens up the composition to make it look like Spider-Man is actually swinging. So all those extra buildings weren't really worth it. It just cluttered it. It's a hard damn lesson, dude. And again, it, you know, it's not about cheating the the viewer cheating for yourself because like he's still establishing the exact geography and the exact look of this location he's just making a decision for clarity so he can put even more detail into this devastating attack the guy's just a master i don't know what else to say and this is only this is only halfway through his career and i i feel like we uh, we're getting long in the tooth, so new X-Men might be the last thing. Ooh, there's a little teaser for you with that Batman. Uh, yep. New X-Men might be the last thing we cover in this episode, but I do just want to point out, this is the first that I was able to find of a technique he would later go on to make great use of, which is capturing subsequent moments in time with moving through space, if that makes sense. So... Emma Frost's figure is the, oops, sorry. Where am I? Emma Frost's figure here at the bottom is the consistent element, but you literally watch Cassandra Nova fall out of Cerebro dead over the course of these three panels. And you're literally watching her move through space and time with the way he arranges those panels. Mm-hmm. That's, um, again, you, you see 
you see this used in situations where it'll be like Batman jumps off the building here, falls here, and lands here. But to use it in a dramatic moment like this for, you know, the end of an action scene where it's like her dying really does bring a close to all this chaos that's been happening. So we're going to extend that moment. You could have just drawn Emma Frost holding Cerebro with her crumpled at her feet, but that wouldn't have brought enough finality to the action. So seeing her slowly drop out of Cerebro until she crumples into a heap, it's, it's again, it plays with time and space the same way that like slow-mo and speed ramps do in movies. And it's almost more effective here on the page. I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't disagree. And I also think um, maybe I'm wrong in this and I'd be like, Oh, you're dumb. You're a bad nerd. But I think in her diamond form, Emma Frost either is both invulnerable to psychic attack and also not able to use her, her psychic powers. Yeah, I believe that's correct. So she had to form, form that diamond form, which gave her the requisite strength to, Twist. Well, I guess she probably she. Uh, I don't know. She's kind of got a Paris Hilton physique, so maybe she would need the vi- the diamond form to be able to have the strength to, to break an old lady's neck. Yeah. But the bottom line is, she breaks it. And like you said, they break it up over the course of that. So it, I don't know. There's just something powerful to the story moment, which he's drawing well. But Morrison putting it in there that like, even if Wolverine was there, would he have killed an old lady? He didn't mm. do it before. He was holding this stuff to her head, threatening all this stuff, froth on the mouth, super mad, but he didn't do it. Would Scott do it? Probably not. Would Gene do it? Probably not, unless she's in a Phoenix form, so on and so forth. Beast do it. No, he had to try to find a way to think about it. Emma Frost is like, look, man, I'm going to do my job as part of this team, mm. and I'll be the one impervious to psychic attack and be a killer because that's what I am. You know, there's something powerful to to the fact that he's illustrating a really great story moment in this run. Well, and and even her face for, you know, it doesn't take up a lot of real estate on the page, but it absolutely has sort of a, yeah, what's up now, bitch, kind of soft <laughs> yeah. confidence to it. And again, it's that acting. It's like, you know, it's not a full on grit my teeth and scrunch my eyebrows type of superhero angry face. There's subtlety to it. And what a concept that is. <laughs> Dude. Well, I mean, and this episode was sort of spawned in conversation we had on the Patreon, which you That's should it. certainly support at uh at patreon.com forward slash the greatest pod. Uh, a lot of stuff we're debuting there. We debuted us kind of discussing this episode and the ones that are coming up in in a piece of uh in a piece of art that we have on there we just sent out the postcards for the people who sign up for the top tier and uh, get postcards and extra pods it's just a great experience and uh please leave a review tell people about this subscribe to this youtube channel we'll be coming pretty quick with part two to inform you guys of uh everything after new x-men we're talking about jupiter's legacy we're talking about all-star superman we're talking about batman and robin and other things so these are the things we're also going to be talking about multiversity the pax americana issue which is the last sequential art frank quietly has done to date and is probably his best so it kind of all leads to that (laughs) yeah so um what we'll do is uh end it here for this part one and uh for all you guys who listen Go watch it on the YouTube channel, damn it, so you can see all the stuff we were talking about. And, you know, 
Uh, the YouTube channel could deserve some, it deserves some love. We don't normally do a lot of video stuff, but we did do a breakdown like this with Jeff Johnson, breaking down Neil Adams. It's criminally underwatched. Go watch that after you watch this. And uh, let's kind of get some traffic on the YouTube channel because there's way more of you guys listening than watching on YouTube. And I know that some people are YouTube heads that don't even know we're on YouTube. So we do have a YouTube channel. Search The Greatest Pod. And um, yeah, this was a great one. And I'm looking forward to more of these detailed comic book chats with you, Bill, because honestly, there's not too many people on this earth that want to talk to me about comic book art to this degree. And the fact that you exist, I'm telling you, I told you off air, it's keeping me freaking sane. Oh, dude, no, I I love this stuff. Obviously, we're gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to streamline as we move into more of these discussions. This was just sort of our first go, and I think I got a little too excited because I, I like I said, there's over 150 images here, and I feel like I've got something I could say about all of them. So, what hopefully- you know, what I think we're one of the only podcasts that would have given this much respect to his early career, though. That's you know what I mean? You, yeah, uh, so you don't that's a big deal. Hear, yeah, you don't often hear about sort of like the pre-All-Star Superman stuff in this level of detail. So I'm I'm happy we did this. Absolutely. So uh for for Bill and for <laughs> the absent Ron. Oh. I, <laughs> well, Ron Ron couldn't be here. He's uh, doing karaoke with T Pain. True story. <laughs> absolutely <Yeah. true> story. <laughs> that's absolutely correct he is doing karaoke with t-pain right as we're recording this so uh until next time thank you guys for listening to another uh cinematic uh powerful uh spotted blacks no that, that doesn't come off right <laughs> lumpy faced edition of <laughs> the greatest uh... You get to see my face when I did that. Ooh.